0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At go shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40 plus locations, get same day install. For tires, it's Dobbs.
1: For deals you can use, click on go now. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Character and Smallman.
2: Everyone and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex Jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us this morning until 10 o'clock on a morning after the Blues did not play due to the riots in Minnesota, but the Cardinals did play and lost Michelle their third in a row, 5 2 to the Washington Nationals. Not great.
3: Not great still early.
2: Oh yeah, plenty of time.
3: <laughs> plenty of time, but not the the outcome you want, obviously. It doesn't
2: seem like they've played ten games already, does it?
3: No, it seems like they've <laughs> played four. Maybe yeah. it's flow It's flying by already, but that's that's the point, right? It, what do you mm. always say? It gets late early.
2: It sure does. Yeah, Yogi Yogi uh, ism
3: Yogi Berra-ism, because we're already ten games in.
2: Yeah. So Eric Fetty started for oh, the. Oh no! Nationals. Please
3: don't, don't.
2: So I, I sent Michelle and Dan a text, don't. and. Uh, the, uh, it was, uh, so, Sinead, who does the afternoon show at ESPN Radio, if you didn't hear it yesterday, I suggested an afternoon show on ESPN with Eric Fetty and Sinead, and I, it'd be called Fetty Sinead.
3: <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue as much yeah. as you want it Feta- to.
2: Fettuccine? So,
3: <laughs> Fettuccine. Uh, but uh,
4: both
2: Michelle and Dan just ripped me. So there's No, Randy, no.
3: No, Randy, no. But I said there's a rapper named Fetty Wap. If you're going to go there, you can find, I think, it probably an easier mix. I don't know how, but it just seems like Fettuccine. You're know. really pushing here.
2: Darn it. Okay. I well, appreciate
3: the creativity, though, Randy.
2: Appreciate that. The Cardinals did fall 5-2, and Eric Fetty was not involved in the decision. Kyle Finnegan got the win. John Gant took the loss. And there were some good things that came out of this game, Michelle, wouldn't you say? Sure. Matt Carpenter getting his first hit of the year. I
3: I go ahead. I had a feeling we were going to go there. I was pumped for him. I texted you Marp exclamation point. I was excited.
2: Yeah. Uh, He was the Cardinals starting second baseman last night. And this is something that we'll talk about later. But Tommy Edmond started in right field and that might be his spot. And Marp gets his first hit of the season with a bunt.
5: Yeah, I'm just glad to get one on the board. You know, sometimes um, that first one's the hardest one. Um, it was for me, obviously, at this point. Um, but, you know, more importantly, it, it uh, you know,
4: scored a run for us. And um, we were able to to uh,
5: get in scoring position for Tommy, who drove in a big run. At the time, you know, he, the starter, Fetty, was throwing the ball pretty well. So um, uh, it was, you know, a much needed um, opportunity that came up, and I'll just try to take advantage
2: of it. Edmund had driven in the run after John Gant sacrificed Carpenter over to tie the game at one apiece, and then the Nationals took the lead again by Kyle Schwarber, doubling home Juan Soto in the sixth, so it was a 2-1 game after uh, Castro uh, fly ball, Schwarber moved to third, and Bell scored to make it 3-1, but the Cardinals, Michelle, did have their opportunities, especially uh, in the in the bottom of the seventh inning, but they just couldn't get over the top, and they lost it five to two.
3: Yeah, they definitely had their opportunities, and and circling back to Matt Carpenter, Randy, maybe this opens the floodgates. Maybe this is what Mike Schultz was talking about, and we're about to see a bountiful harvest. Oh, come I'm looking through. forward to it. I am too. But sometimes it only takes one, right? Get the get the pressure off, and then you can start rolling because he's going to play.
2: Yeah, he looks like he's going to be the guy, maybe at second base for. Uh, at least a good amount of time for the foreseeable future because Tommy Edmund is producing offensively and against right-handed pitching, they're going to give BARP his opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, he did not get off to the best start in the world last night, but the the key was for him uh, getting on base and getting that hit
5: after going 0 for 12 to start the season. I mean, it feels good. I mean, you know, anytime you're, going through a stretch where you're searching for that first hit. It can be um, challenging, especially, you know, making a lot of hard outs. Um, you know, my teammates have been, uh, you know, just great, you know, picking me up, trying to keep me positive and, um, you know, keeping me keeping me in a good frame of mind. So it was fun to, to, to see the excitement. And I know they they're, they're probably weren't as excited as I was, but it was good.
2: And I'm glad that his teammates are vocally telling him, hey, Stick with it because he's a likable guy. He's the guy that is a very good teammate and his teammates want him to succeed. And if he listens to the outside noise, if he listens to us, for example, he's not going to get that positive reinforcement.
3: I can't imagine he would want to listen to sports talk radio or check his no. mentions. That just seems like a losing battle for him because we live in the immediacy of things, and we have to react to a game scenario. We mm-hmm. look at strictly results, and when it's 0 for 12, that's not great, especially when it's coming off uh, the same trends the year and a little bit before that prior, but I'm so happy for him that he did get that, and it seems like he's getting positive reinforcements everywhere, from his teammates, mm-hmm. from his manager, so hopefully he can block everything out, and this is a sigh of relief for him, and he can start to get it rolling.
2: Now, Michelle was not a clean, perfect game for the manager, Mike Schilt. Bottom of the fifth inning 1-1 game. One out, Carpenter walks Justin Williams walks and Mike Schilt has to make the decision, do I hit for John Gant or do I try to get uh, him to bunt and give me another inning? What Schilt decided was to eschew the pinch hitter and sa- sacrifice with Gant to bring Edmund to the plate. Did that and Gant did successfully sacrifice Carpenter to third, Williams to second, but Tommy Edmund grounded out. Looking back,
6: Schilt was not really happy with his decision. You no, know, tonight that was a spot. That was a spot for Caby in the sixth, and, you know, Geo could go from there, and then Alex after that, they're fresh. You know, yeah, we've had to pick some guys out of place um, prior to today. Today wasn't that day. Today was um, me not doing a good enough job for our club to put him in position. My job is to put him in position to, to, you know, Players win games, managers um, avoid it, you know, losing games. And and I didn't do my part today in that decision.
2: I think he's beating himself up a little bit here because A, there's no guarantee that whoever you brought off the bench, that's not a really productive hitter at the moment, Mm -hmm. was going to succeed. And the Cardinals do need to get more innings out of their starting pitchers. Their bullpen has been overworked and it's going to get burned out. So getting another inning out of Gantt certainly would have worked to their advantage. And then you save Cabrera for a later inning.
3: That's what my thought process was at that point is that you do need to get more innings out of your starter. And you're right. It's not like there's that one guy you can really feel that confident in coming off of the bench. But Mike Schultz is always going to do this. Yep. He always takes the blame. He always defers uh, to himself and his decision making rather than pointing to the player. So I'm not surprised he did it there as well.
2: Same two teams tonight, and it's a puffy vest giveaway at the ballpark as yeah. the Cardinals take on the Nationals.
3: I was looking at tickets last night, Randy, because I got to get my dad and I to the ballpark soon to go to a game. Mm-hmm. The giveaways are great. There, there are some great giveaways coming up right now. And as you mentioned, Puffy Vest tonight, I believe there's a Jack Buck statue or something coming up soon. Yeah. So people going to the ballpark are going to walk away with something good.
2: The Blues were scheduled to play last night in Minnesota, but because of another police shooting and the projection of riots, which did occur, uh, the Blues game against the Wild the Timberwolves game and the Twins game were all postponed and so Minnesota will try to get as close to back to normal as they possibly can and obviously this is a national issue it's not something that's indigenous to Minnesota at the moment But it does affect sports in myriad ways, and one of them is that we miss out on games. That game has been rescheduled for May 12th. It'll be the last game of the season for the Blues.
3: The reschedule of the reschedule?
2: Yeah, right.
3: (laughs) And it's the third time this season that the Blues were ready to play hockey in an opposing city, and then the game was postponed for one reason or another. And we're going to talk to David Perron later in the show. I wonder how that affects the guys, because you're you're traveling, you're doing your game day routine, you're in another city, and then you don't play.
2: Has any team in any sport ever had more postponements for different reasons? You've got this last night. You've got the Avalanche not or the Kings not being able to get home because of snow in Denver. Oh, yeah. You've got the COVID issues that uh, they've dealt with. It's been a weird year.
3: Yeah, it has been a weird year.
2: And thank you, Colorado Avalanche, for beating the Coyotes last night. So now the Blues have two games in hand and a one-point lead over Arizona. And they'll see Arizona later on this week. And San Jose also lost to Anaheim. So it was all in all, even though the Blues didn't play, a good night for them.
3: Didn't even have to play, and it was a productive night.
2: Yeah, so we'll take that. For the Chiefs, we heard right before the Super Bowl about Britt Reid and the, the accident that he had that involved alcohol and now he has been charged with felony DWI, while uh, after hitting a vehicle that left a five-year-old girl critically injured and paralyzed. If convicted, Britt Reed, Andy Reed's son, would face a maximum sentence of seven years in prison.
3: Awful story. Terrible. Awful, awful story, and kind of surprised it took this long for him to be charged.
2: Yeah, kind of weird, isn't it? This was the beginning of February, so yeah. you had all of February and all of March, and part of April. It took two and a half months for him to be charged. I wonder what the holdup was.
3: Yeah, I don't know, but we were getting so many stories and updates about the girl who was injured in the crash, mm-hmm. and everyone knew that it was Britt Reed that was the cause of it, and it just seemed like the story had been out there for a while, so I'm just kind of surprised that the news is coming down now.
2: And finally, Michelle, Julian Edelman, entertaining fella, pretty good receiver, okay receiver. He, he retired yesterday after being released by the Patriots. he He was 34, he ended a 12-year career, and people are suggesting somehow, some way, that Julian Edelman is a Pro Football Hall of Famer, and I'm suggesting that he's not. He obviously was a guy that was the beneficiary of playing on really good teams, and because of that, he has more catches or more yards in postseason play than anybody else really good. That mm-hmm. that part of it is good. During the regular season, which is really where Hall of Famers are made, he has 620 career catches for 6,822 yards and 41 touchdowns. Ricky Prohl has more catches and more receptions for more touchdowns than that he played in three super bowls heck ricky Prol actually did more to help his teams win super bowls than julian edelman did his defenses just couldn't hold up whether it was the rams in 2001 or the panthers in 2003 both games he scored the tying touchdown for the rams in super bowl 36 and then super bowl 38 puts the panthers ahead with a catch in the last minute before Brady brought the Patriots, who did not have Julian Edelman at the time, back. So I would argue that Ricky Prohl is a better Hall of Fame candidate than Julian Edelman. I would argue that Gary Clark is a better Hall of Fame candidate than... Julian Edelman. Gary Clark six hundred ninety nine catches to Edelman, six twenty, ten thousand eight hundred and fifty six yards to sixty eight twenty two, sixty five touchdowns to forty one. Clark played on two Super Bowl teams. He was a, a, a sensational player, a great postseason player. So Gary Clark over Julian Edelman. By the way, I didn't even include Tory Holt because yeah, it, that, of course. that is comparing Apples to Teslas. It's uh, uh, I mean <laughs> I
3: to Tesla. There
2: there is you, you couldn't get a more disparate comparison that you try to make between Julian Edelman and Tory Holt because Tory Holt was in a different echelon altogether.
3: Yeah, Tory Holt Hall of Famer. Tory Holt Hall of Famer uh, waiting in line. Yeah,
2: Julian Edelman nice career, but he's just a guy.
3: I think, though, Randy, we see Julian Edelman in the postseason all the time. We see the big moments, and that's what sticks. So a lot of people, when they talk about Hall of Famers, they think about Julian Edelman connected to championships, and they think about him connected to Brady and connected to Belichick. And so that's why the question gets brought up.
2: And the writers will ask the question. They'll say, okay, well, he is connected to Brady and Belichick. What would have happened if he would have been drafted by the Bears?
3: What would have happened if Wes Welker didn't play there? Yep. We saw Danny Amendola be a guy right. here and have big postseason yep. moments in New England, too. Those two made a lot of people around them better players. Yeah.
2: And none of those guys, none of them are Hall of Famers. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's Tuesday, so it's time for a game of What's Better on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: A little game of what's better here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Raby Carricker, Emily Butcher is here. Your text 65780. That's the number for the Air Comfort Service text line. Emily, what do you got for us?
0: From the 314, what's better? Ranch or blue cheese?
2: It's ranch all the way, every day, 100% of the time. Uh, what do they say tw- uh, every day, twice on Sunday? Ranch <laughs> all the way.
3: Every day that ends in Y?
2: Yes, exactly. I'm not a blue cheese fan, Michelle.
3: Would anyone pick blue cheese over ranch? Not likely.
2: No, I don't think any sensible person would. Now, some somebody that might be listening that just isn't sensible might do that. But ranch is the play on so many different levels because manch- ranch is so versatile. I mean, they, they say, do you want ranch with your Fries, do you want ranch with your wings? Nobody says you want blue cheese on your fries. I guess some people get blue cheese on their wings. Salad, no. No, it's ranch all the time.
3: You're right. You can put ranch on so many different things. It, Burgers. It, yeah, it's like the sixth man of the year when it comes to condiments. It is. Always showing up in, to deliver, no matter what the this, yeah. this space. You're right. You can put it on a burger, fries, obviously wings. You, I mean, if you're eating chicken, you can put ranch on your chicken. Chicken we, tenders. Yeah, yes. there's so many options here.
2: Yeah. Great analogy. Sixth man of the year. Is, I love that. It
3: is. From the 314,
0: what's better, the Cardinals outfield or the Pirates outfield?
2: Oh, this is a good question. I would say that the, Dylan Carlson is probably the best prospect. Ultimately, I think it'll be because of Carlson them, but even though he's only hitting like 157, I think if I were gonna take an outfielder from the six that start for the teams, I would go with Gregory Polanco.
3: But how much of a bummer is it that you have to compare the two?
2: It's a bummer. This is serious business here.
3: Because we talked about the outfield struggles, but when you put it in comparison to the Pirates, that's that's not a great feeling.
2: No. Their outfield, Brian Reynolds, Dustin Fowler, and Gregory Polanco. A couple of relative unknowns. And I would suggest that for most baseball fans, all of the Cardinal outfielders are unknowns. Not to us. But if you ask somebody in Pittsburgh who's the Cardinal outfield, they don't know who Dylan Carlson is.
3: No, you're right. They likely don't. No,
2: And they certainly don't know who Austin Dean or uh, Justin Williams are. I had trouble thinking of his name right there. So, yeah, I I would say I, I would go with the Pirates because of Polanco at the
0: moment. Wow. From the 618, what's better on a burger, pulled pork or an egg?
2: I like a fried egg on a burger now and then. I'm not... I don't know that I've ever had pulled pork on a burger before. It sounds interesting, but because I've had it and because I kind of like it, I go with the fried egg.
3: So are we talking pulled pork as a sandwich? If
2: it's a pulled pork sandwich, then you go with the pulled pork sandwich over the burger with the the egg on top.
3: People are putting a hamburger patty and then pulled pork on top of that, it is that what we're talking about here That's what it sounds like The question is what's better on, on, top, a burger, on a burger pulled pork or an egg Well then I'm going egg because the the patty and pulled pork combo feels like a lot Well I like we're protein. doing too much I
0: have had a burger at Stacked with brisket on it and it was phenomenal hmm, But okay. was there a, a patty on yes.
3: it Okay Yes
2: What's the hmm. most outrageous burger you've ever had
3: Outrageous as in it's great or outrageous as uh, in there's a lot on it. Yeah, stuff that's on it. I don't know if I've had many outrageous burgers. I'm kind of a classic burger girl. Just give me a patty with some cheese, ketchup, mustard, pickle, maybe lettuce and tomato for getting wild.
2: I'm I'm that's if you're getting wild. <laughs> I am generally that way. I, I'm for the most part very basic. But there's a place in Scottsdale called Re- Rehab Burger Therapy, mm-hmm. which is sensational. And if you just go to their website and check out some of the different burgers that they have. Uh, so like you got, uh, well, here we go. Uh, you've got the Porkster Burger, your burger grilled to order, then covered in Rehab's own barbecue pulled pork and cheddar cheese. So th- there's one with, the, and I get the... Uh, the Hangover Burger, which has fried egg, bacon, Colby Jack cheese, and Hatch green chili. It's really good. But they also have one with, uh, here, I like this one a lot. This okay. is the, the PB&J Bacon Burger. Uh, it's got peanut butter, grape jelly, bacon, and sriracha sauce.
3: And sriracha?
2: Yep. And it's really good. It's Interesting. awesome. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I like an outrageous burger now and then with weird stuff on it.
3: Um. Wouldn't you love it if a doctor told you the type of therapy you needed was burger rehab therapy? Wouldn't that
2: be awesome? (laughs) Here's what you need to do. What you need to do is you need to go to this place where they have all kinds of weird burgers. And you can't just pick out one burger and have that every day. You have to pick out a different burger every day, and that's the only way we're going to be able to cure you.
3: Yeah, you hurt your shoulder, burger rehab therapy. Yeah. That's what we need. How about the ones that the Grizzlies used to sell with the Krispy Kreme donuts? I had the, one of those. As the buns.
2: Yeah, that was really interesting.
3: Those are very tasty, but you take one bite of that and your pulse starts to quicken. Oh, man, I can't. I can't eat those.
2: Uh, No, I even I had a just a bite.
3: You can only do
0: one bite.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. How about this one? Let me give you one more. This is the uh, nacho taco burger, uh, burger grilled to order, blanketed in cheddar, topped with house made taco meat, shredded lettuce, nacho Doritos, and a dollop of sour cream.
3: It sounds messy. Yeah, it is,
2: but I like it. I don't mind messy for a burger.
3: Yeah, right. but I want to be able to hold it in my hands. I don't want to have to eat it with a fork. That sounds like you take one bite and everything's going everywhere, and then there's a cleanup on aisle five. I don't need yeah. that.
2: Do you guys ever have a commercial that you see and you wind up singing the song all day long?
3: Yes. Like, Scoop, do a dollop,
2: do, do a dollop. Have you ever done that?
0: Yes, do and now cream. I'm going to yep. all day. Thank Sorry. you, Randy. Sorry. Scoop, there it is.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: In my head, 25-8. <laughs> From the 636, I was at Bush Stadium when Ray Lankford hit for the cycle. What's better, witnessing someone hit for the cycle or witnessing a no-hitter?
7: I would,
2: the cycle is actually a more rare occurrence in baseball. I would say seeing somebody hit for the cycle in person. I don't, oh, I have seen, I saw Willie McGee hit for the cycle in the Sandberg game in June of 84. The Cardinals lost, but that's the only time I've ever seen a cycle in person.
3: I think I might go with a no-hitter. Either one would be outstanding. Mm -hmm. But the no-hitter, I I imagine I'd be on the edge of my seat more during the game.
2: Oh, Michael Walker, his first, his rookie year, 2013, against the Nationals. Went eight and two-thirds. And I have, I I was at the Sunday afternoon. no, I was at the 83 Bob Forsch one. That was a night game. I was not at the 77 one cloudy afternoon i was listening on the radio but i was at the the one in 83 and that's the only no hitter i've ever seen in person really yeah
3: and was it great
2: it was awesome yeah, <laughs> it, it, you are on the edge of your seat there's no doubt about yeah.
0: it yeah from the 636 what's better seeing yadi and wayno together again or goldie and arenado on the corners
3: I'm going to go Goldie and Arenado on the corners. Love, love, love seeing Waino bueno and Yachty together again. But I've seen a lot of that there during go. my my lifetime here in St. Louis. And seeing Goldenado together is like a beautiful new relationship. We're watching blossom.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I, As much as I like seeing Yachty and Waino bueno back together, I think that seeing the new guys and... Having one of the best players in baseball, one of the five best players in baseball on our side, having Arenado at third, pretty cool.
0: From the 314, what's better, a perfectly cooked steak or perfectly cooked ribs?
2: Perfectly cooked steak, sorry, ribs people.
3: Yeah, because I think if you had a bad steak, you you know how bad it can be. Mm -hmm. Whereas ribs, yeah, of course you want them to fall off the bone, but they're still good. Where steak can be super tough.
2: The perfect rib, by the way, not human, the perfectly cooked rib is a rare occurrence. It just doesn't happen very often. I really have such respect for for people that barbecue and have the patience to go low and slow and come up with the perfect ribs. So I I give them a ton of credit. But for me personally, I'm always going with the steak. There we go. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, six five seven eight zero. Next up, yesterday was the NHL trade deadline. A lot of teams made a lot of moves, but not your St. Louis
1: Blues. What do you think? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It turned out to be a busy deadline in the National Hockey League in the Honda West Division. Colorado got Carl Soderbergh back. They reacquired him. They'd had him previously. Got him from Chicago for Josh Dickinson and Ryder Rolston. Those, that's a move that is generally Michelle made to try to succeed in the playoffs. They're, they've they got the best record in the league. Colorado does. Mm-hmm. They're going to make the playoffs. And they're trying to win. Vegas got Matthias Janmark from uh, the Blackhawks as well. Uh, they gave up a second-round pick and a third-round pick, and the Sharks took on a little bit of salary, so that uh, and, and they get a fifth-round pick just for taking on salary. The Blues are up against the cap and obviously had some needs but decided not to make a move. And I think the way things are going, that's a smart move on the part of the Blues. I don't know that making a move and giving up a pick was going to make them good enough to win the Stanley Cup. So much better that you say okay, that's going to put us over the top. And I think that's the kind of move you're trying to make.
3: Right. And I'm sure Doug Armstrong did his due diligence and looked at every possible angle and every possible player that was available. And I think the fact that and there probably wasn't an obvious answer that was out there based on the limitations you just described. I also think the team going on a bit of a winning streak here probably played into the fact that you might not want to disrupt the chemistry that you're seeing. The one person that I think a a lot of people looked at as potentially being vulnerable in this situation as Mike Hoffman, and he responded, now let's see if he can carry that you know, moving forward. But I'm totally fine with the Blues not making a move right now because I didn't see one obvious move out there that would definitely make them better.
2: I don't know, and I say this with all due respect, but when, when your coach benches you for back-to-back games because he's having trouble motivating you, and he says, hey, I just need him to play hard. When you're, you've got 15 games left in the season and you you fall out of the playoff race and as you fall out of the playoff race, you're benched and then you get a job back on the team because somebody gets hurt. I'm concerned about having that guy in my lineup as I head down the stretch. Mike Hoffman is definitely a skilled player, Mm -hmm. but if the coach says, I just need him to play harder at this time, that's a real concern to me.
3: Of course. Yeah. If effort is the issue here when you're fighting for a playoff spot and when your team needs you because they're coming back, you know, players are injured. You have people coming back from injuries that need to get their their feet under them and you need to be motivated in another way, that's never a good sign.
2: And my other question, and we talked yesterday, Michelle, about getting a big defenseman because you just don't know what Colton Pareko is going to be able to do. Don't know if he's going to be healthy enough, and hopefully he will. He's playing better and better as the games go by. But if you don't have Pareko in the lineup, as we have seen, you really do get victimized, if you're the Blues, by the lack of size in your lineup.
3: You do but he's he's out there and hopefully getting better and you know not re-injuring himself, but I, I don't know. I would have loved to see them go out there and get a big body on defense, but I think Doug Armstrong probably looked at the puzzle and he didn't find a, a perfect fit, and I respect him for not making a move. Now, I hope that the Blues carry this energy, Randy, that we've seen from them in these past few games and breathe a sigh of relief maybe, because I don't know what it's like during the trade deadline, if this is something players are paying attention to, and maybe maybe the team didn't want moves to be made. I don't know how that is. We can ask David Perron when we have him later in the show. But I hope that they take this as a message that Doug Armstrong and Craig Brewery are confident in this group and that this is the group that's going to carry them to the playoffs.
2: And by the way, it's not like the guys that would fit what the Blues need, a guy who you can count on to come in and either A, score goals, or be that big defenseman. Those guys didn't get moved except for maybe Taylor Hall. But even he said he's had a bad year. He's Mm -hmm. only scored two goals, and... He said, I, I just couldn't play this year. And he 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 mentioned himself. He said, I'm not a highly motivated guy, and he doesn't want to be the best guy on his team. He said, I wanted to go to a place where they had a bunch of good players where I could just kind of fit in and, and be one of the guys. That's not the kind of guy you want to get as you're trying to win a Stanley Cup.
3: No, and if you go out and make a move like that, you're wanting someone that's going to infuse you with some energy, someone that is going to come in and, and potentially shake things up. And if that's the attitude, I don't know if that's the answer.
2: Meanwhile, you look at Colorado, and the Blues will play the Avalanche tomorrow night. We'll have the game for you here on 101 ESPN. 62 points. They're four ahead of Vegas now in the division. They get a guy like Soderbergh, and ever since they got past their injuries, everything has gone Colorado's way. Now, Colorado's had some great teams in the past that haven't succeeded come playoff team time, but I think that they built this team to win a Stanley Cup, and one of the reasons that if I'm the Blues, I don't make a move because if I'm really objective and fair, even though the Blues did want to stand, win a Stanley Cup two years ago, I don't think my team is good enough to beat Colorado. If I'm if I'm being very reasonable and objective about it, I, I don't think my team is good enough to beat Colorado and get to the to the final four.
3: And you don't want to mortgage your future.
2: No, absolutely not. And I, I want picks because I want to rebuild the system too.
3: I also. Thing from the Blues perspective, they're looking at a scenario if they just get in, sometimes you just get hot at the right time.
2: There's no doubt that you've got the randomness of the postseason. It's happened before. But again, this is uh, I'm not I don't want to hope for randomness. That's my thing. I, I'm looking at both Colorado and Vegas and saying they're just better than we are this year. We've got injuries. We aren't as good as we thought we were going to be. We've lost some key experienced players. Now we're without Robert Thomas again. And it's just one of those years where things haven't gone our way. And like you say, hopefully the blues will be able to turn it around and take advantage of the randomness of the postseason, but it's just not something that you give up a number one pick and say, okay, well, hopefully the randomness will take over. Because whoever you got for a number one pick wasn't going to make you better
3: than Colorado. That's my point. Oh, absolutely not. And I'm I'm with you too. I think that Doug Armstrong's probably in a unique position because he hasn't necessarily seen this team be capable of everything that they're capable of yet. Because they did bring in a bunch of new people. You have been dealing with so many injuries. So many things have been working against the Blues this season that if you don't think that your team is in a position to go out maybe with adding a piece here or there to win the Stanley Cup, why would you want to mortgage your future
2: the thought process from the blues poho
7: well jr i would i would start with uh the goaltending uh, i thought that uh uh Billy didn't have uh, his best start and we weren't good in front of him but ultimately his job is to stop pucks uh, in in the vegas game and uh, at two to one that game could have gotten away from us i thought he made three or four fantastic saves to keep it at two to one and then you find a goal and to me that's how momentum starts uh, i thought Bennington. Not, not, not as tested nearly as much uh, in the game before, but you know, came back with a with with a one goal game, and so hopefully our goaltending is, is is starting to play play well. I think getting uh, Schwartz, uh, you could just feel the collective sigh uh, from himself and everyone when when he finally got one, uh, and it wasn't because of lack of effort, lack of uh, opportunities. So may, maybe the worm is starting to turn with it with our goal scores. You know, Shen's the next guy up on that list. To, and, and Kairu to bury one and, and get us really running.
2: And that's the thing. It's, the word is maybe. The operative word there is maybe the worm is starting to turn. And hopefully they do develop some momentum. But I have no problem at all. To go to the bottom line here, I have no problem at all with the blue standing, Pat.
3: Me either. And Randy, didn't you know Jordan Bennington said the team was coming? We're coming. They're coming.
2: Yeah. So hopefully that's the case. There's the one guy that can do it for you. You don't. You don't. Don't have to make a trade if Jordan Biddington does what he did two years ago.
3: That's true. You but that's just... not really fair to him to to hope for that and bank on that.
2: No, it's not. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got take it or leave it coming your way. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Tioli is next on one hundred and one ESPN.
1: We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on one hundred and one ESPN.
2: All right, it's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Emily with you. And Michelle, Larsa's in the news.
3: Oh, no, Randy. Gosh. Yep. Okay, go ahead. As you go know, ahead.
2: she and Malik Beasley split up, distance an issue. The 46-year-old Larsa Pippen, former wife of Scotty Pippen, and Malik Beasley. So she's back on the market. And has a picture out on her social media, wearing black leather pants and a low-cut tank top, posing in front of her red $200,000 Ferrari, and with the, has the caption, No, I'm not lucky. I'm blessed. Take it or leave it. Nobody is more blessed by the NBA, including all the players, than Larsa Pippen.
3: Hmm. Including all the players. It's not luck.
2: There's a method to her madness here. She's got a two hundred thousand dollar Ferrari. She's hanging out on the beach on weekdays.
3: <laughs> it's a pretty good life.
2: Yeah, it's not bad.
3: I'm trying to think. I'm racking my brain quickly to think if there's anyone else in the mix there.
2: Well, think about all the the, the players have to work really hard right. to be great, rich NBA players.
3: And Khloe Kardashian doesn't fit the bill here because she has her own fame right. and her own career. Yeah. So I might have to take that, Randy.
2: It's impressive larsa
3: what did you call it on friday with danny mack um nba benefits what oh, was yeah, it? friends with friends with yeah it was friends with benefits but it was the nba benefits yeah. right she certainly got the nba benefits
2: yeah, she does thank you and- for her big house too by the way that she's her red ferrari is in front of wow she's on the insta
3: doesn't don't they she and scotty have a ton of kids
2: four yeah
3: i wonder if her kids are the ones taking these photos who's her photographer that's what i want to know
2: That's a good question she has a kid that's only two years younger than malik beasley
3: (laughs) you are so obsessed with this it's great what if we got larsa on the show
2: i would love that what would you ask her what would you
3: want to ask her would you say larsa i've been talking about you for months yeah i'm a fan do you follow her on Instagram?
2: I don't follow her. I should.
3: You should follow her on Instagram. Then you can keep up to date with everything that she's doing.
2: Yeah. And literally everything she does is on Instagram.
3: If she's on the new Real Housewives of Miami, Randy, will you be watching? Oh,
2: I'll have I'll DVR it every week. Yep. <laughs> you know it.
3: Okay. Then we'll need a breakdown of Real Housewives of Miami, Larsa Pippen, Randy Carricker report.
2: And by the way, just checking out her Instagram now leads me to believe that she does have a photographer, that it's not necessarily her... Your offspring that are taking the pictures.
3: Okay, good to know. Because that would be kind of an uncomfortable conversation to have with your kids.
2: Yeah, you got an 11-year-old taking a picture of you next to a pool in a string bikini, and you're 46. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not cool.
3: Eh, whatever. Um, okay, Randy, so dra- the draft is getting near, and all of the rumors are swirling, and it seems like one of the rumors that seems pretty concrete is Mac Jones to the 49ers with the number three pick. They, they made the move to get that pick. And it seems like Mac Jones is the one that they have eyes for. Now, a lot of people wonder, what does that mean for Jimmy Garoppolo? A lot of people think that the asking price for Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers is a first round pick. Now, remember they gave up three first round picks to get that number three spot. So it seems like they're trying to recollect something that they've lost take it or leave it they're not going to get a first round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo
2: I'm going to take that the most important ability is availability Mm -hmm. and if the Eagles couldn't get a pick uh, number one for Carson Wentz if the Jets couldn't although Garoppolo's played in the Super Bowl he just hasn't played enough he's hurt all the time I don't think you can give up a number one for him
3: They keep saying Lynch and Shanahan that they will not trade Garoppolo without significant compensation. And they point to his 22 and eight record with Garoppolo Mm -hmm. as the starter since he went to San Francisco. I still, I don't know any team out there that will covet Jimmy Garoppolo that much that they're going to give up a first round pick for him. No,
2: And my thought is that because Garoppolo is hurt so much, they wanted somebody legit for when, not if, when he does get hurt and Mac Jones. Give him four, five, six games until Garoppolo does get hurt, and then he can take over that way. I think it's a smart move on the part of the Niners. I'd keep Garoppolo.
3: I would, too. But it seems like they're trying to shop him. I just think the asking price is a little high. I'm with you there. I don't blame them for having that be where the conversation starts. I just can't see any other team out there that might be in need of a quarterback wanting to give up a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo.
2: Now, here's another thing. How about if... The number three pick and Jimmy Garoppolo to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers.
3: Okay, lay that out one more time.
2: Number three pick okay, overall. Yep. And Jimmy Garoppolo to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers. Oh,
3: I would do it. Wouldn't you? Even though it would be a short window, I would do it.
2: I think for both teams, it'd, it'd be really intriguing.
3: Because the 49 imagine Rodgers on that 49ers team. Yep. He's going home. Yep. Not that that makes that big much of a difference, but he's so motivated anyway. Imagine how motivated he would be to to win it there, to add that layer to his legacy, to do it in California. Oh, that would be so fun. I would love that.
2: It would be a great story. All right, Emily, what do you have for us?
0: From the three one four, take it or leave it, you'd rather have your team barely miss the playoffs
3: than get swept in the finals. No. Uh,
2: no, I, I'm going to the finals. I'm
3: going to the finals, too. Yep. I want to, even though... It, It's the heartbreak is harder. I want to at least be there.
2: That 2004 Cardinal team, as an example, dominant, probably the best regular season Cardinal team ever. I would much rather have had that and get swept in the World Series than have that team miss the playoffs.
3: Do you feel that... Would you have felt that way about the Blues if they didn't win? If they went to Game 7, Stanley Cup Final in Boston, and they lost... Would you have wanted to go on that journey and suffer that heartbreak or rather than miss it altogether?
2: I would rather have had that journey because think about that. If, if you miss the playoffs that year, you were supposed to. You were in last place on January 3rd. So you say, okay, well, that's just who the Blues were that year. But to be able to do what they – for me, getting to game seven, I think for me I always said – Getting It's just as hard to get to a Super Bowl as it is to win a Super Mm -hmm. Bowl. Getting to Game 7 is practically as good as winning Game 7.
3: Except it's not.
2: It's not. Boston (laughs) feels that way right now. Right. But but like Whitey said, Whitey said, hey, after 85, after the Cardinals lost, the Cardinals have won 101 games. He said, I'll go to Game 7 of the World Series every single year. And I would, too. I, I would take that bet.
3: I would, too. But I wonder if if it would have felt different because the Blues had never won. Now, if the Cardinals go to a Game 7 and they lose, we've seen so many magical moments out of the Cardinals in our lifetimes. But the Blues held such a special place in our hearts and in our sports world because they had never won. So that journey was that much more fun to go on. But if they would have lost, the heartbreak would have been so unbelievable.
2: It would have been bad. But here's my thing. There isn't, and never will be, a scenario in which missing the playoffs is better than making the playoffs.
3: And there were Ever. some great moments on in the lead up to Game yeah. Seven. We wouldn't have Pat Maroon. We wouldn't have Boom Boom Gunnerson. There, there were so many moments right. that, but those, those would still be great. But they would, they wouldn't sparkle as much. No, you're if, right about that. If they that. didn't have the the cup,
0: from the six three six, take it or leave it. Four day work weeks, three day weekends every week.
2: Take Take it. it. Yep. I'm totally on board.
3: I was thinking about that the other day. This setup is so Bush League because at least one day of your weekend is not a weekend day because you're running errands. You're doing all of these tasks that you're grocery shopping, you're meal prepping. That's not a day off. You're working. You're just not getting paid. You're working to live. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I'm just thinking about our schedule. And it's not like we are digging ditches.
3: Here. No, I'm just talking about everyone. Uh, uh, I'm for, talking about America, Randy.
2: America. America. But I think I'm just trying to debate in my mind quickly whether or not I would prefer the schedule we have, or the the four day week work week with and longer days with three days off. And uh, I think I would rather have the shorter days.
3: I don't know. I'd rather have a one other full day off sleep in do whatever you
2: want that would be it's it's a hard choice to make but i think i kind of like our schedule i didn't think i would by the way when we started it no
3: you and i both did not think we would like this we were very concerned (laughs) (laughs) but it's been been good it's been really good but i i also think that's because we found a way to put the puzzle together yeah You know, it works for us the way that we do it. But I think, you know, on the weekends, so many people out there, they have to spend at least one whole day doing all of these things that aren't leisurely. Yeah, It's not like they're relaxing. They're not resetting. They're chopping up veggies for the next day, or they're taking their kid to practice, or they're dropping their car off to get maintenance because they couldn't do it during the week. There's all of these things you have to do. Picking up the dry cleaning. That's not a day off.
2: I... I like, I'm
0: going to stick with what I got. (laughs) From the 618, take it or leave it. Kim coming
3: back will be the spark the Cardinals need.
2: Oh, Oh, totally take it.
3: Is Kim playing in the outfield?
2: Well, maybe.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that that what's happening? Because unless it's a spark coming from the outfield, Uh I don't think they're going to get a spark.
2: You're thinking of the wrong Kim. This is KK, Kim Kardashian.
3: Oh, she's coming to St. Louis?
2: Yep, and she's the spark they need.
3: Why is she coming to St. Louis? Because she's a Cardinal fan. She is.
2: You betcha she's becoming one.
3: Is this Bolton apparently official?
2: Uh, Not quite.
3: So I just assumed because she was married to Kanye, who's from Chicago, that she would be a Sox fan. Divorced? Yeah, getting divorced.
2: And there you go. He's a Cubs fan? I don't know. I think
3: he's a Sox guy.
2: Oh, is he?
3: I don't know. Stand by.
2: But if he's a Cubs fan, what would be the, the unkindest cut for him as they divorce? For her to become a Cardinal fan.
0: That
3: would be great. Yeah. See a lot of pictures of him in a Sox jersey. Yeah, I think oh, he's okay. a Sox guy.
2: Well I'm okay with him being a Sox fan because Tony's a Sox guy.
3: Yeah, he threw out the first pitch at a Sox game. He I'm seeing I'm seeing zero Cubs Darn it. and a lot of White Sox. Okay.
2: Yeah, he's probably from the South Side.
3: That's yeah, cool. I think he is. Probably
2: grew up a White Sox fan. All right. So so okay, KK Kim, it is then. So, yeah, he'll be the spark that they need in the starting rotation.
3: He will. He's going to be the spark. They need one. Okay. I hope you're right. I
2: hope I am, too. I hope you're right. <laughs> thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Last night, did we see perfect evidence of why baseball doesn't need the DH? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's character and Smallman, Michelle and Randy with you. And last night, Michelle was one of those games where I, I watch and I try to manage along with the manager. Mm-hmm. And I like the thought process that goes into not having a designated hitter. And I know you like the idea of having the offense from a DH and... You know, well, give, give your thought process about the designated hitter.
3: I'm good on seeing pitchers bat. Right? you done with that? I'm done. How many pitchers, when they step into the box, are you thrilled that you get to watch that at bat? How many? Uh,
2: maybe. It depends. Like last night, I like to see if, if Gant gets the butt down, and he did twice.
3: But are, you, but are you really excited to watch a pitcher bat?
2: Yeah, because there's strategy involved.
3: Okay, see, I am not, because usually it's it's lackluster. Usually it's not something that provides entertainment for me. I know mm-hmm. that you like to manage along. I think the fact that we don't have both the National League and the American League having the same construction of their teams and following the same set of rules is so dumb. I think it's one of the dumbest things in sports. I cannot believe that we're in 2021 and there hasn't been a universal DH or have the DH taken away. It's so, Imagine if the NFC and the AFC said, oh, we're gonna not kick an extra point or something. It, it would be outrageous to have the two conferences playing in different ways. So I just want something to be done where it's universal, and everybody plays by the same set of rules. But I'm good on pitchers batting, and I know that you like the strategy part of it. But I also don't want pitchers out there trying trying to run the bases. I, I don't want a pitcher potentially getting hit by a pitch. I, If we want to protect pitchers, don't have them go up to bat.
2: Well, last night you've got a situation where Gant has given you five innings, and the Cardinals they need to decide whether or not they are going to get more innings out of their starter because their bullpen has been overworked, or are they going to get the bullpen into the game? You've got a 1-1 game, one out, Carpenter walks, Williams walks. And the question for Mike Schilt is, do I send up a pinch hitter and bring in Cabrera in the sixth inning, or do I have Gantt sacrifice? Gantt does bunt, and then Tommy Edmond grounded out. So the game is still 1-1, and then in the very next inning, with Gantt on the mound, by the way, Schwarber doubles home run, Castro... With a sack fly, and it's a 3-1 game as they head to the bottom of the sixth inning. Yesterday, former Major League manager Jim Regelman, who was the uh, a coach for the Cardinals, he was the Cardinals uh, minor league director and uh, is, is a really accomplished Major League manager. He was on with BK and Ferrario and was asked about his thoughts with the designated hitter.
8: I hate that it looks like we're going to go to the DH in the National League eventually. To me... The, I hate the DH, and I could go on and on about it. It's not about, oh, uh, well, it's boring. The pitchers can't hit. They come up to the plate, and it's, it's an ugly at bat. That has, that's the least impactful part of the DH for me. The, the impactful part of having a DH or having the pitcher hit is that that pitcher, he's out there pitching. He's up fourth next inning. Now, as a manager, i got to make a decision. He's struggling a little bit. Do I take him out? But if I do, he's up fourth. I don't really have a comfortable double switch I need to make. So, um, you know, I'm going to double switch him out of the game. I'm taking a guy out of the game that I don't want to take out. But it's much more strategy. It's a it's just a better game with the pitcher hitting. And um, I, I just hate that we're going to move to, I think, a less exciting game when we have the DH. I know people... They want to see those sluggers and all that. But you know what? Uh, Baseball's an offensive and defensive game. Learn how to play a position and and go play it or or become a pinch hitter.
2: And I thought it was interesting in talking to managers over the years, Michelle, whether it's Tony or Whitey or Joe Torrey or Riggleman or Sparky Anderson, to a person, everybody that I ever spoke to that managed managed in both leagues, and they're different because they're managers, mm-hmm. but they all preferred managing in the National League.
3: And that is interesting, and I'm sure you have a, a preference for that type of baseball because that's what you grew up watching and you watch baseball in St. Louis so you are conditioned to love the strategy aspect Mm -hmm. of not having the DH I think about it purely from an entertainment and consumption of the game standpoint and I think about the average sports fan tuning into baseball and what would they rather see and I think that pitchers batting is boring Unless it's Adam Wainwright, right. who sometimes shocks and delights. We
2: are, we are a video game offensive society. That's one of the reasons that the NFL is succeeding, like they are, because there's action, a lot of action, and a lot of scoring. Now, last night, Mike Schilt had to think. He, uh, that's one thing. Why have a manager if you have the DH? You don't really need one. You just all, all he does is sit there, right, and decide. Okay, the guy isn't going to go through the lineup for the third time, so I'm going to take him out. Uh, there, there isn't thought like Schilt had to deal with last night.
6: You know, a lot of variables into that decision, clearly. Um, the variables being, you know, we haven't gotten a lot of length out of our starters. we got a guy that's pitching well. Um, he's got plenty of pitches to go pitch the, the six, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, he's already got a bunt down. We feel good about Tommy being able to take a good at-bat. Um, he gets it successfully. You know, we got a base hit, two-run um, lead. Um and then you can say, well, you know, you go back out, and uh, we had Cabby available for one. You know, we're trying not to rely too much on our bullpen, um, but it wasn't a great matchup for Johnny to go back out, even though his stuff was good. You know, Soto's the big at bat. He'd he'd had good at bats against uh, Bell and Schwarber, um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, didn't get Soto. Bell three two pitched in Garway, walked him, and Schwarber put a swing on him as well. So. Um, you know, a lot of different reasons, even you know, maybe you think about them hitting, uh, Zimmerman at some point in that, you know, exchange, um, so it goes into it, but because we don't know if they're going to do it because Schwarber and, and Bell are new to their group and just got activated. So, um, those are the reasons. can't say they were the right reasons. Um, you know, I got to own it. Didn't feel like that was the best decision I made and, I uh, got to be accountable for it. Didn't work out, take responsibility fully.
2: Now, I, I will say this, because I have I, I've told you many times, my introduction to great baseball was Whitey Herzog, who was, and Jim Riegelman said, baseball, best baseball man I've ever been around. Whitey was always two innings ahead of the opposition. He made you think as a fan. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it was an extraordinarily entertaining style of baseball, even though they had the pitcher hitting. 100% of the texts that we have want the universal DH. Right now? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So even in a National League town, that
3: surprises yeah, me because I thought DH. more more yeah. people would be on your side here than mine.
2: Yeah, uh, from the six three six, the pitcher batting is just so boring. End of story. Uh, batting is part of the game; it's that simple. You don't excuse a player from doing something that all the other players are required to do. Uh, from the three one four, if MLB wants to ap- appeal to a wider and younger audience, a universal DH does make a lot of sense. And this is the only league in the world where the pitcher hits every every place internationally every minor league they do have the dh
3: when i when i think about stuff like this randy i think about pre-pandemic the last time that i was at a baseball game and i was sitting in the press box and i was in that front row and you can look down into the seats in front of you everybody's on their phone no one's even Mm. looking at the game everyone has got their face buried in their phone and I can promise you that if there was going to be something that was going to take their eyes away from their phone and onto the game to care more about what's happening on the field, it's not going to be a pitcher batting.
2: Well, they aren't watching the number four hitter either.
3: But I'm just saying, I think more entertainment, more offense, more excitement. I don't know. There's just nothing entertaining about a pitcher batting to me. And I don't even think most of them care.
2: And (laughs) I don't find anything entertaining about a walk. So if a number three hitter takes a walk, I, I'm not entertained by that either. So there are a lot of problems that baseball has to deal with. That's true. In addition to uh, whether or not the pitcher hits.
3: It just kind of feels like, okay, let's get this over with when the pitcher comes up in a lot of scenarios.
2: And that's why, especially if you have guys that are capable of bunting like John Gantt, that it makes it a good part of the game. Because if Edmund does wind up getting the hit last night, then it's a great move on the part of Mike Schilt and the Cardinals probably win the game. Mm -hmm. But obviously they didn't. (laughs) Uh, We did get one pitcher one, but it's for uh, different reasons. In my opinion, pitchers need to hit for a couple of reasons. You want to hit a batter, then you should have to stand in the batter's box. And maybe as a pitcher, you can see something when you're in the batter's box that could help you... Help your other hitters. And if you don't want to run the bases because you're scared of getting hurt, go play golf. That's a good point. You can do both.
3: I like the first part, though. If you're going to hit a batter, you should have to go in there, too.
2: Yeah. that's That, that horse is out of the barn. That, you can't hit anybody anymore. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, how fortunate are the Cardinals and the Blues to have harmony and stability in their front offices? One pro sports organization is showing us why that's important that's next on 101 espn
1: we are right back to the Character and smallman podcast on 101 espn
4: brown and Groupin, 222 2222
5: This is Dan McLaughlin, and I want to tell you about my friends at Saliga Heating and Cooling, an independent American standard heating and air conditioning dealer. They've been the experts in St. Louis for nearly a century. Their focus is customer satisfaction, and their priority is keeping you comfortable. Call them today to take advantage of rebates and special financing on a new American standard system. 314-481-7333. Visit SaligaHeatingAndCooling.com. Subject to credit approval, see dealer details. Spring
1: has sprung. Time to make an investment in your home. An
2: investment
4: that will increase the value of your home and improve the overall look and feel. Universal
1: Windows Direct's unique Unishield design windows can save you money and will make spring cleaning super easy for years to come. Call now to schedule your personal estimate and
4: take advantage of buy one window, get one window free. Plus, zero payments and zero interest for two years. Call 314-696-5909 or click
1: now at UniversalWindowsDirect.com.
7: Stalter back with my guy, Stewie. Stewie, did I hear this right? Are you using the bagel loan on purchases now? Are you crazy? That's right, Anthony. We're going to bring the bagel loan to purchases. We're changing the playing field. If you're going to finance more than $200,000, folks, no fees...
2: Michelle, John Moselock took over the reins of the Cardinals as their general manager and eventually president of baseball operations in 2008. Doug Armstrong with the Blues in 2010. And they have maintained stability with their coaches or managers. Uh, Ken Hitchcock was here for a long time. barubi has been here for a long time. And with the Cardinals, obviously, it was Larusa and then Matheny for five years, and now Mike Schilt. And there's an amazing and troubling story, if you're an Eagles fan, story up at The Athletic about the dysfunction in the Eagles front office and how that causes them to lose. And part of it is the owner. We're lucky here in that Tom Stillman with the Blues, Bill DeWitt Jr. with the Cardinals, they are involved with the team, but they aren't meddling in day-to-day operations. They aren't showing up at batting practice or, in the case of Tom Tom Stillman, at practice and leaving their imprint on the way the team plays. But according to the story in The Athletic, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, had meetings every Tuesday with his head coach, Doug Peterson, is at practice almost every day and has a dramatic effect not only on who plays for the team, but actually what kind of plays are being called and the way the Eagles play the game.
3: Yeah it's a very delicate balance within a professional sports organization because you want everyone to be working in concert with one another but that's hard when sometimes a head coach or a GM is hired at a different time or maybe the head coach or the GM is viewed upon more favorably by the owner which is what it seems like here but we've seen that many times Randy especially when the Rams were in town where a GM would have one agenda and the head coach would have the Mm -hmm. other agenda and maybe one of those two parties had final say and that's always difficult because you need to be working together and it seems like here it was Jeffrey Laurie and Howie Roseman on one side and Doug Peterson on the other you mentioned those Tuesday meetings where the two of them would grill Doug Peterson on every decision that he would make and just even reading this article it's it's exhausting for me to even read it I can't imagine being the head coach in that situation where you don't have enough rope or rein to really do what you want to do
2: and they have a problem similar to what the cardinals had that caused Walt Jocketty to get fired. Walt Jocketty did not get along with Jeff Luno. Walt was not an analytics guy. Jeff Luno brought in to basically start the analytics movement in sports in 2003 and because, for lack of a better term, uh, Walt didn't play well with others, specifically Jeff Luno, he was let go and somebody who was more amenable to the to the analytics, Moe was promoted and has had the job Ever since for 13 years in Philadelphia, it's a similar, although not identical situation in that the athletic, uh, the analytics people were not on the same page as the coach. And I, I really think and tell me if you read into it the same way. The reason Doug Peterson is gone is because he wasn't willing to play the game with analytics people that he didn't have a lot of respect for.
3: Yeah, that's a huge part of it. A- another thing that I noted was it, it constantly seemed like Doug Peterson was being beaten down by Laurie and Roseman with this second guessing. There was a couple times within the article where they talked about how he would have to go in and defend his coaching staff, most notably Frank Reich, and how mm-hmm. early on they didn't think he was doing a good job, and Doug Peterson would have to fight for him, fight for him, and then all of a sudden Frank Reich leaves. Carson Wentz has this massive regression, and then everyone's pointing to his connection with Frank Reich, saying, well, he was the one that that really helped Carson along. He helped with his development, and without having him there, he's not going to have that success so if I'm Doug Peterson in that situation I'm constantly trying to fight for something that you don't want and then I'm proven right and now I have to clean up the mess what kind of coach would want to be in that scenario
2: and he saved Reich after the 2016 season but then after 2019 he tried to save his offensive coordinator and receivers coach He went to the front office and said, no, these guys are fine. I I want these guys here. And they were fired by the front office within 24 hours. So he lost complete control over his coaching staff, too. And once again, let's localize this. I can't imagine a scenario in which Craig Berube or Mike Schilt would have people that they don't want on their coaching staff. Now, maybe they don't make the final decision, but... If there's somebody that they don't want on their coaching staff, they aren't going to be stuck with those guys, like Peterson was in Philadelphia.
3: That tension and toxicity bleeds through everything, too. When there's tension, with, if you're the coach, the head coach, and you're trying to do something one way, and this is the plan that you're trying to implement, and you're getting pushback from people who are supposed to be pulling the rope the same way, that's going to bleed into everything that you do. Well, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when, and obviously the... The situation is completely different. But when you had Jeff Albert and Mark Budaska, you had mm-hmm. two guys within the organization that had conflicting ideologies. And the Cardinals essentially said, Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to double down on this because they had a situation where players were either falling on one side of the coin or the other, where players were going to Buddha for assistance and not necessarily buying into the Jeff Albert I- ideas. And the Cardinals said, We need one common thread throughout all of this to avoid a situation like this. Now, the question remains, whether they chose right, but I think that they identified the fact that they need harmony or they they at least need one consistent method of teaching throughout the organization.
2: And that goes back to the most consistent and best organizations in sports. The Dodgers have had a ton of stability and, and you don't know what bubbles under the surface, but people have been around there. Andrew Friedman's been their GM. Ned Coletti was their GM for a long time before that. Don Mattingly was their manager for a long time. Now Roberts has been their manager for a long time. You look at the San Antonio Spurs with Popovich. You look at the Patriots with Belichick. Uh, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning with John Cooper. And they, they when Steve Iserman left, they promoted uh, from within to, to hire their new general manager. Stability plays such a role in any organization. And in sports, I think it's particularly important and You can tell the good organizations from the bad ones because there's so much turnover. The fact that the Eagles fired Andy Reid and now they're going to be on their third coach since him in the last eight years tells you all you need to know.
3: I think now they're in a better spot, but the Cleveland Browns were always mm-hmm. the, the best example Perfect of that. Example. Unbelievable turnover. The Rams were the best example of that. How many offensive coordinators did Sam Bradford have during his tenure? It was constant turnover. You can't ever expect someone to be able to thrive when they're having to break everything down and start over every few years, so that's really difficult, but the person you were mentioning earlier when it came to the analytics side of things is Alec Hallaby. He's the Eagles vice president of football operations and strategy, and he's an Ivy League guy, young executive. And he has a personal connection to Lori because Julian Lori Jeffrey's son, is a fellow Harvard grad with Hallaby. And one day, Julian is going to take over the business. So he has that connection and obviously is vouching for him. And this guy seems very polarizing, according to this piece at The Athletic. A lot of people think that he's brilliant. Other people do not. And I loved this line, Randy. It says, The blurriness of Halliby's influence on the final decision makers created rifts throughout the organization and contributed to the iciness between departments. So people don't really know exactly what his role is, but they know that he's peddling a lot of influence when it comes to major decisions. And that has to be confusing if you don't know why he has the influence that he does and you're working over here trying to do your job.
2: And now they have a puppet Nick Sirianni is a head coach who's got virtually no experience, didn't even interview for another job. And Lurie and Halliby, the analytics guys, are going to be able to hold sway over what happens. And I kind of have a feeling that it's not going to work.
3: Kind of have that feeling, yes. Yeah. But if if I'm looking at this, and this was a very interesting and detailed article, it really chronicles everything from, yeah. from the beginning of D- Doug Peterson's reign, all of the Carson Wentz stuff. But... Howie Roseman was so in on Carson Wentz. He was so in on him. In this piece in Prior, he had described not having Carson Wentz there as like not having a finger on your hand. You're It's yep. something that you're so comfortable and used to. And it seems like a lot of the things that Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie were down on Doug Peterson for, they were wrong about. It seems like Doug Peterson was right about a lot of this stuff, whether it was Frank Reich or Carson Wentz or the way that he was a- approaching building the team. And obviously, if they're in that position, they're not going to say, yeah, he was right. Maybe Doug Peterson was right and we were wrong. They're going to say, well, it's because we didn't have him going the way that we wanted to go. So I think when you don't self-assess and you don't take responsibility for your role and the failures of the organization, and you double down and only have yes men around you, yes men and women who are going to be an echo chamber, that's not good.
2: And it is mentioned, by the way, in the piece that People around the league and people within the building are shocked that the Eagles did win that Super Bowl. Yes. It was just serendipi- serendipity and everything fell together at once for them. But it was just a lucky year that they had when they wound up winning the Super Bowl.
3: We have a text ready from the 314. The Steelers have had three head coaches in like 50 years. Yeah,
2: right. There's another perfect example of how to do things the right way. And it all starts with ownership. One of the things about sports and specifically the NFL is, is that even if you are completely inept, like Dan Snyder or like Jimmy Haslam has been in Cleveland, you still make a ton of money. So you you can think that you're doing a good job because you're making money, when in fact, like what appears to be happening in Philadelphia, you have no clue. But you still are going to make a bunch of money.
3: And everyone's managing up. So no one around you is going to tell you you're the problem. You think anyone in Dallas is going to look at Jerry Jones in the face and say you're the problem? You're the reason why this team can't win a Super Bowl championship again? No, of course not, because he's going to fire them. So everyone is afraid to tell the head of the operation that they're the reason why. And it sounds like Jeffrey Lurie is a really good guy, but that he loves football and he's so invested in this and that he's perhaps too but no one is going to tell him that he might be the problem.
2: That was Mr. Bidwell's problem here in St. Louis. He wanted to win. He just didn't know how to and thought he was a football guy. And that's a real problem when you have an owner that thinks he's a football guy that isn't.
3: Just find someone that you trust and and take a step back.
2: Shouldn't be that hard, but it is for these guys. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, The Fight on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character.
3: Karen and smallman here on 101 espn it's 8:36, so it's time for the fight and we're welcoming in kurt again as our fighter today if you listened yesterday you know there was a bit of a discrepancy with the tiebreaker question kurt got it correct randy said that the answer was not correct we couldn't find it online there was it was kind of a blurry situation so kurt is coming back today to defend his title that we gave him yesterday and he's one step closer to the hall of fame how you doing kurt
8: How are you, you, Michelle?
3: We are doing great. Are you ready to go? I am. Awesome. Question number one. David Perron is going to join us next at 845. You're going to want to tune into that. Perron began his NHL career with the Blues in the 2007-2008 season. What team did the Blues trade Perron to in July of 2013? Was it the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Edmonton Oilers, or the Anaheim Ducks?
8: Uh, the
3: Who was the
0: MVP of the 1982 World Series when the Cardinals defeated the Brewers 4-3? Was it Bruce Souter, Darryl Porter, or Ozzie Smith? It Darryl Porter.
3: All right, Kurt. Steph Curry moved into first place for the Warriors last night as their all-time points leader with 17,818 points. Who did he pass for this position? Was it Rick Barry Wilt Chamberlain or Chris Mullen?
8: Chris Mullen.
0: And who started the most games for the Cardinals last year in the DH role? Was it Matt Carpenter, Brad Miller,
3: or Ron heller Ravello? Brad Miller. All right. We're going to check our score here. Randy's on his way back in. Yeah, Emily, I know you researched this last night. Were you able to determine the tiebreaker question? It was how many times did the football Cardinals make the postseason, correct? Yes. It was the, pl- the playoffs, i The sorry. playoffs, and so they playoff appearances?
0: Playoff appearances, yes. and we couldn't
3: determine about the playoff bowl, right? I was looking
0: on NFL.com, I was looking on Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, c- I couldn't find it anywhere.
2: Yep. 74-75-82 for future reference.
0: I just couldn't find if... I uh, know I'm not saying you're wrong. I couldn't find if the playoff bowl was considered the playoffs.
2: Well, they, they didn't even play in it at that year, though. Yes, they did. Well, they don't have it listed. Uh, but no, if you they don't have a chance game. to win a championship, it it's not the playoffs. Right?
3: It's blurry. It's muddy. So that's why Kurt is back. Randy, say what's up to Kurt again.
2: Kurt, welcome back. Good to have you with us.
4: How are you doing, Randy? Thank you.
3: Thank you. All right, Randy. As you know, David Perron is joining us next, 845 a.m. Mm-hmm. Be sure to tune in, everyone. David Perron began his NHL career with the Blues in the 2007-2008 season. Mm -hmm. What team did the Blues trade Perron to in July of 2013?
2: They traded him to the Edmonton Oilers.
0: Who was the MVP of the 1982 World Series when the Cardinals defeated the Brewers four games to three?
2: Colonial bread, it's the MVP (laughs) with minerals, vitamins, and protein. Uh, Daryl Porter was doing bread commercials after winning the World Series MVP. Get it? Minerals, vitamins, and protein, MVP?
0: Someone, I got it. Someone on the text line said you were going to talk about that.
2: You got it, yeah. Randy. Dor- Daryl Porter.
3: Are you going to be singing that all day now?
2: No, I'm still do- uh, dollop.
3: Oh, you were still on a dollop with do Daisy? Dollop.
2: Do a dollop. Do a dollop, yeah.
3: No scoop, there it is. Would you yeah. ever eat a dollop or put a dollop of sour cream on a piece of bread?
2: I would not.
3: I wouldn't either. No. But we spread mayo on bread. True.
2: And ranch. And ranch. All sorts
3: of mustard. Why not sour cream?
2: Now, do I do a dollop on some nachos? Absolutely.
3: You better believe it. Maybe two dollops if we're getting (laughs) crazy. Randy, Steph Curry moved into first place for the Warriors last night as their all-time points leader with 17,818 points. Who did he pass for this position?
2: He passed somebody who was even more prolific off the court than on the court. Wilt Chamberlain. Who, by all accounts, lied with uh, 20,000 women, he claims. Claimed.
3: Has anyone ever done the math on that?
2: Yes, and it was like multiples a day.
3: For how long of a time span?
2: Like his entire life. (laughs) Very impressive.
3: Busy guy. And all these points
0: too, busy guy. (laughs) (laughs) And who started the most games for the Cardinals last year in the DH role?
2: Designated hitter. Let's see. You had Edmund at third. You had Wong at second. So I am going to say that it was Marp.
3: Okay. Yesterday was a little fuzzy. Today, leave no question. Emily, ring the bell.
1: The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carriker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com.
3: Sorry, Kurt. Randy beat you three to two. It was a close one, but Randy ended up on top. So the Blues did trade David Perron to the Edmonton Oilers in July of 2013. Daryl Porter was the MVP of the 1982 World Series when the Cardinals defeated the Blues. Steph Curry did pass Wilt Chamberlain last night as the Warriors' all-time points leader. Wilt Chamberlain was 17,783 points. And the player who started the most games for the Cardinals in the DH role last year was Brad Miller with 32.
5: Oh,
8: forgettable.
3: (laughs) Yes, clearly. How could you forget Brad Miller? (laughs) Kurt, thanks so much for listening. (laughs) Thanks for playing.
8: Thank you very much. Have a good day.
2: You too. Thank you, Kurt. We appreciate it. It's Kara Smallman Malman on 101 ESPN. Thanks to Emily as well. Randy,
3: and Randy, real quick yeah, yeah. from the 314, someone said, I did the math a while back on Wilt Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. It was something like 3.5 per day from the time he was 15 years old.
2: See, that's pretty good. Now, 3.5. Uh, <laughs> and he says that, well, he wrote in his book that he slept with 20,000 women. So I, I'm thinking that if he had 10 at a time, still that each one individual counts.
3: Just do you think he kept a tally?
2: There's no way because like a
3: journal of some, yeah. of sorts, a diary maybe of oh, his he, exploits.
2: He, he may have.
3: If you were, it's get, if you
2: impressive stat. But better than the points.
3: If you're getting well, it's more than the points, yeah. yeah? If you're getting close to uh, I don't even know what the number is. I mean, keep
2: in mind don't that I he think got You you'd keep a list. You should. You should. Yeah, keep a list. You think
3: you would keep a list? And Your doctor's going to ask you.
2: And he got two <laughs> points for each basket that he made. Wow. So look at it that way. Maybe he's counting it that way.
3: Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's basketball scoring these? Yeah. Interactions?
2: Could be. It's hmm. possible.
3: It's just, it's a busy guy. Wow.
2: Yeah. Uh, do we have David Perron next or at 9? Next. Next. David Perron, Blues Forward, with us. His weekly visit on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: The plan was for the Blues to play in Minnesota last night and extend their winning streak to four games. That game postponed because of the issues that they're dealing with in the Twin Cities. It's been postponed until May 12th. So now the Blues will take on Colorado tomorrow night at Enterprise Center and try to extend their winning streak against the Avalanche. David Perron joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN as he does every week with Randy Carricker and Michelle Smallman. David, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning?
9: I'm doing well. How about you?
3: David, we're doing great. Uh, take us back to yesterday. Like Randy mentioned, you guys are getting ready to play the game. You find out a couple hours before that it's postponed. You've had this happen a few times this season, but what's what's that like on a game day to find out that you're not going to play the game?
9: Yeah, well, it's it's not ideal, obviously, because we were there. It kind of changes our plans. We've had five cancellations, I think, this year, with, like three with covid uh, one with L.A. when we were in uh, Los Angeles, uh, they were stuck in Denver with, with some weather issues. And then uh, obviously this one is another uh, different topic. Uh, I mean, I was just scrolling Twitter and uh, obviously with trade deadline, all that stuff happening. And uh, I kind of saw that the I think the baseball game was going to probably get canceled. So I figured that once they do one sport, they all of them uh, jump in together. And we understand the situation and uh, they have to do what they have to do.
3: David, you mentioned you're scrolling Twitter because of the trade deadline, which I find so interesting. So, is this something that you monitor? Do you and your teammates talk about the trade deadline, or is it more you're going to look at it yourself and wait and see what happens?
9: Yeah, we, we do a little bit at times. Uh, we, I mean, it, depending, obviously, it was uh, pretty interesting for our team. The way the last several weeks had been going, and obviously our last week uh, putting up some some good hockey. We we felt like at times we were playing really good hockey. We, we weren't getting the result. I know we I talked about it with you guys several times, uh, but uh, it was nice. Our last week was was a great feeling in our locker room, and obviously the end result is is that we didn't uh, trade anyone away, and uh, that's a, that's a good feeling. It's a good confidence uh, boost, I think, for our group and. We're hoping to um, to be able to respond to to Army's uh, basically decision to stand pat and and keep giving him more confidence with with our play. And uh, as long as we keep improving, uh, I think he's gonna feel like he, he's done the right decision. And we we have to prove that for him. David, he's
2: Army seems to listen to you guys, and when you tell him, hey, look, we've got a chance to do something pretty special here, he he will appeal to what you guys want. How important is that from a player's perspective, especially somebody who has been traded in the past, when the GM says, okay, we're going to stand, Pat, and I'm doing it for you guys because I trust
6: you?
9: Yeah, I mean, Army's great. Obviously, he's, he's talked to some guys, uh, not about necessarily, like, it's his job, so he doesn't need to talk to anyone about his job, but just kinda of feeling out uh over the last uh I mean the whole season he does that anyway, but um again, like you, you never know like what the offers can be uh what with, with teams. Some of our players are pretty valuable for us and for the league. Uh if if he would have maybe blown away by something, then maybe he has to do it. Like uh I'm sure there's a tipping point for almost everything. And uh certainly it did seem like it it didn't seem like he, he felt like he was gonna Get to that point and uh we're obviously really happy about that um as teammates and everything we really believe in each other i, I saw a quote about justin fogg saying like uh, our basically our belief never really uh went away and it, it's extremely true we know how good we can be and uh getting colton pareco back as as he keeps uh, getting up to speed and all that will be a, a key point to our performance
3: I've always felt that from you, David, every time we've talked to you, you've instilled that confidence in us and our listeners about how good the team could be. You mentioned the conversation that we had last week. It's kind of crazy how, how different things can be in a week, but you were talking about how things were going to turn around. And you mentioned that the team had been doing all the right things and that excuse me you guys just had to stick together and the tide seems to turn you've won three games in a row now so did you just do the same things and things eventually fell your way or was there any changes that the team made that allowed you to go on this win streak
9: yeah it's a little bit of both but we we just stuck with it uh one good point like I I love like seeing the emotion of uh Ryan O'Reilly on the overtime goal like He's scoring a lot of goals for us this year, and he's done that in the past. To see the emotion that he brought for for the overtime goal, like that was that was great to see. I think it, it kind of shows how important this win was for us. And uh, yeah, like we, we we're not going to go away, and we're far from the process to be over. Like we, we got to keep this thing going, and that doesn't mean we're going to win tomorrow. But if if we don't win tomorrow, then we got to get right back on the horse and, and put up some great performances. we have a really important game coming up in Arizona on the weekend. Uh, and obviously, uh, not just Arizona—they're all going to be extremely important. And uh, we're we're looking forward to it. Like the the line is is so close to being uh, a non-playoff team and and being a really good team in this league. And we kind of wandered like a little bit around for for a couple uh, weeks there. But I'm glad that it seems like we're starting to find our game at the right time. That was kind of the hope and the belief that when we get guys back and we get settled with our group, that uh, we're we're a really solid team in the in this league and. Um, hopefully we get in. We keep uh, doing some some good stuff, and I, I wouldn't want to be uh, any other team uh, in the league saying, "Oh, we got to play St. Louis in, in the first round." For example, after everything we went through, uh, some of the, some of the injuries, all that, and, and finally get playing good hockey going into playoffs. That's obviously our hope, and, and we want to do that.
2: David Perron with us on one hundred and one ESPN. David Jordan Binnington had that comment last week. We're coming. How much of a leader is he for your team?
9: Yeah, I mean, everyone's. Uh, I we love when Benner does uh, something like that. He's he's one of my. I, I just love that personally. Uh, it, it's not just a leadership part or not. Just like when guys kind of s- stick their head a little bit out more than than the usual quote, and obviously Benner's uh, done that before, has responded with great performance, and uh, it's really good to to see that. It's obviously, like. Um, that game that he played against Vegas was key for us to start turning this around, putting in result. And what was he had like fifty saves or something? He was unbelievable, and we know that from him. We we see it in practice. He's he's not an easy goalie to score, and he competes. He works hard every practice, and it's great to see.
2: And it's interesting when you have a goalie that is that competitive. I know there are some goalies in practice it doesn't bother them if they allow a goal in practice, but to have a guy that is that competitive really does make a difference for you, doesn't it?
9: Yeah, absolutely, and I, it's up to us players to keep pushing them too in practice to make sure that we we do take those those hard shots and we make sure that we try to score on them every single time. You you start building that that basically that battle in practice. I've kind of had that going with Huse a little bit recently, and it's great. You, you see how he's raising his his level every single practice, and he's got that smile when he makes a nice save on you, and he and he knows that you thought you were going to score on that shot, but but he saved you. So. And vice versa, I give it to him if I score a goal. That uh, just just many ways like that. I think that within each other, like we can all push each other to keep getting better. And uh, the guys have done a good job. We, we've responded. And again, like to go back to, to Justin Falk's uh, point, is it's never over. And and, and we're, we're we're only three games into this. We're we're gonna have to do it for fifteen more games here.
3: David, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but what's it been like to have Colton Pareko back out on the ice? I imagine having him there brings an infusion of energy to the team.
9: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just to see his name on the on the board, really, for the other team, the, the presence that he brings, uh, just uh, is, is how smart he is defensively, like his body position, the way uh, he puts his stick in the lane, all that stuff, takes passes away. So yeah, it's it's a major boost for us, and uh, we're extremely excited. And I, I mean, I'm. I'm sure that's a big part of the the reason why we we started having good performances, and now we're starting to play even better, but we also get the result, and I'm sure that's a big part of it.
2: Hey, David, one more thing from me. Are you scoreboard watching like when the Coyotes are playing last night or the Sharks are playing? Are you aware of what's going on in their games, or do you wake up in the morning? How does that work?
9: I'm not going to lie. I hate scoreboard scoreboard watching just because growing up, I always felt like my dad would talk about it and, and say, like, that, that he never liked when, let's say, uh, other minor hockey coaches would go, like we would go to a minor hockey tournament, and uh, other coaches would be looking, oh, if this team wins, that, that team loses, then we don't get to play this one. My dad's like, who cares? If we win the tournament, we have to beat them all anyway. And I kind of grew up with that mentality, and uh, that's that's how I see it. If we take care of our games, we'll be fine. And if we don't, somehow, some way, the scoreboard in the, outside the, the town uh, will hurt us. And I, I, I'm aware still that uh, we've, we've gotten some help, but I, I still believe deep down because of what I just said, that if we just take care of our games, we'll be fine.
2: David Braun, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. Go get them against Colorado tomorrow, and we'll talk again next week.
9: Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you next week. I appreciate it. bye
2: David. That's Blues winger David Brom with us on 101 ESPN. Always gives us a great little tidbit, doesn't he? Or two?
3: He does. He's a great chat every week. But I love that thought process that his dad instilled in him because it is so true. If you handle your business and do what you need to do, it doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing around you. Just focus on the task at hand.
2: And that's what the Blues need to do. That's what the Cardinals need to do. And tell you what, look at this team. How lucky are the Cardinals that Yadier Molina is back in the fold?
3: I keep thinking that. There are early trends, and it might be a different conversation at the end of the year, but one of the early thoughts that I keep having when I watch these games is, where would this team be without Yachty or Molina?
1: That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And the
5: 2-2, he gives it a run.
2: Yadier Molina with another home run and another big moment for the Cardinals. And during the offseason, he talked about how the Angels had interest, the Padres, the Mets, the Yankees, and he landed back in St. Louis. And, Michelle, I know that as you watch this all unfold early in the season, you do think about, man, what would this team be like if Yadier or Molina was not a member of the Cardinals right now?
3: Emily pulled some great stats for us. He's leading the National League in so many, among catchers, in so many different offensive categories. And there's so much conversation this offseason about whether or not it benefited the Cardinals to bring back Yadier or Molina. And he's. Coming up clutch in so many situations, whether it's defensively, like always, or offensively for the team. But when I look at the struggles of the outfield, Randy, I'm thinking, what if you also had a catcher who wasn't S seasoned, yeah. not only in the lineup, but not guiding? or calling games in the same manner in which Yadi does. It just seems like such a no-brainer now that we're watching him flourish again that he's back with the team. It's kind of hard to believe that it ever got to a point of almost no return that he yeah. would have gone somewhere else because this team would be completely different without him.
2: They're pretty lucky. He leads the team with a dozen hits. That also leads NL catchers. He's first on the team with a couple of doubles. That's fourth among catchers. Second on the Cardinals with two home runs. That's tied for first among National League catchers. Second with eight RBIs on the Cardinals. That's first among National League catchers. He leads the Cardinals with a 353 batting average. That leads all NL catchers. 410 on base. Second among NL catchers. And that leads the Cardinals. A 588 slug. He's playing on a team with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and leads the team in slugging. And he's also
3: he's hitting fourth.
2: Yeah, it <laughs> is unbelievable. You know. And his 998, a 998 OPS leads the team. Manager Mike Schilt on his catcher's offense. You no,
6: know, look, it's a it's a tip of the hat, a testament uh to a lot of things for Yachty. You know, he's uh he's a he's you, you know, he's a unique um, player for on a lot of on a lot of areas and to your point, to speak about another area, we talk about his leadership, rightfully so, his defense, rightfully so, just his overall presence. But now we're talking about his presence in the lineup, and and you know this guy's always been a productive type hitter, and I say this a lot, and it's um, it's even more important even now in the more of a modern type game. But you know Yachty's got a something for about any situation, you know, on the baseball field. Um, he's he's got he's got something he can compete with and he's got an awareness of when and how to use it and um, you know which makes him a really a, a productive at bat you know and what he's doing now he's he's getting a little bit more um, in the zone and letting that good swing he's got nice stroke he's got working so he's he's got you know his walks are up uh, he's getting more pitches to to handle and he's 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 smoking them so um, he's taking great at bats and michelle he's doing this
2: and tonight he's going to catch his 2000th career game
3: he's 38 it's unbelievable think about the wear and tear that his body has endured just his knees just his knees yeah Randy when I bend down to pick something up my knees are cracking I cannot believe what Yadier Molina's body feels when like I on a daily squat basis down
2: like that I can't get back up I need somebody to help me
3: <laughs> and yadi is squatting down like that what how many games
2: this will be 2000 career games caught
3: 2000 career games caught think about all of the training that's involved in that all of the spring training games it's it's unbelievable i do think that he can pop up with a quickness still he he's has not lost a step it's crazy
2: he he's a physical freak he really is but he also is somebody that the cardinals need at this moment because they're getting nothing out of their outfield, because they're getting virtually nothing out of Paul DeYoung. Like you said, he's hitting fourth, and if he's not there to hit fourth, if if it's Edmund Arana- Goldschmidt Arenado, if it's not Yachty, who is it? Who is it? It's it's your. You wouldn't even call him a cleanup hitter. You, you that number four guy would be a cleanup swinger, or maybe a cleanup guy at the plate but you couldn't call him a hitter right
3: (laughs) he would he would be someone who was batting at that time
2: (laughs) yeah and the fact that he's enough of a leader that Nolan Arenado is looking up to him and Nolan Arenado has always looked at him as a kind of a mythical figure and now he's trying to catch up to what Yachty does in terms of work ethic he 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 makes everybody around him better just because of the way he goes about his business. And again, if you don't have that in St. Louis this year, how much different is your team?
3: And what if he was doing it with another team? Mm -hmm. What if the Cardinals and Yachty didn't come to an agreement and he ends up going somewhere else and he's performing the way that he is right now and the Cardinals aren't getting as much production out of that position? Imagine how Cardinals fans would feel.
2: Well, and think about this. If the Padres... Everything else was the same, but they lose Tatis and they can just plug in that offense and not have Tatis, how much better off are they?
3: It's a good point. But just to circle back though to what he brings to this team, we know what he does. As a catcher, we obviously know everything that Yachty is capable of. But to have Nolan Arenado, who, by all accounts, before he came to St. Louis, any person that we talked to, all they talked about was his work ethic and Mm -hmm. how much he loves baseball and what he would bring to the Cardinals. Not necessarily even considering that that person and maybe more so already exists with the Cardinals. that He just plays a different position. So if someone who is known for being a hard worker and known for loving baseball comes and is even impressed by how much Yachty works and how much Yachty loves baseball, I think that speaks volumes.
2: You think the Cardinals and granted, there was a lot of loss suffered by baseball owners last year because of the pandemic. But do you think the Cardinals, when you look at the fact that they waited until the very end to reassign him, and then he wound up taking about a 50% pay cut, I wonder if they value him financially, what he's really worth to them.
3: That's a great question, because what are we determining worth by? Well, just the, just the on-field production?
2: Is he the most important guy in the organization?
3: Gosh, that is such a good question. And I think I might have to say yes. I think he is. I I was leaning Arenado just because of the commitment and the duration of the contract. He's going to be here for a while, but there is no one that carries more influence or that has contributed more to this team and continues to than Yadier Molina.
2: Or means more to the fans, if opening day is any indication.
3: So, that's such a, another excellent point by you, Randy. So, when we were downtown for the game, you were there, too, so you can speak to the, what happened inside the stadium. I was across the street at Ballpark Village because that's where we were broadcasting, and when they had all of the players getting off the trucks and everyone was giving the ovation, Nolan Arenado got a great Great ovation. Nothing compared to what Yachty or Molina got. People went nuts when they saw Yachty get off the truck. And he just means so much to the fan base. He's a reason that people still buy tickets.
2: Yeah. And buy jerseys. He's still their number one selling jersey. And last year and for the last three years he made 20 million in each of those seasons this year he's making 9 and that's why i asked the question is do the cardinals value him financially and obviously they're in business they were able to get him for 9 million dollars i don't have any problem with that but if you if you do everything that we just talked about if you put a circle around Yadier Molina he is more valuable than anybody else they have.
3: He's the face of the franchise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know that they're looking at the point in his career, and that's how they're determining the financial value of him. But it. W- as is always with the Yadier Molina, it's very difficult to quantify what he means to the Cardinals and very difficult to quantify how good he is and all of the things that he brings to the team and all the little ways in which he helps them win on a night in and a night out basis. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. By the way, somebody texts in and this is a great text. If I ever would try to squat down to catch somebody says, get, somebody get Randy a life alert button.
3: Yeah, I didn't. It's, I didn't want to go there, but I'm concerned, Randy, if you fall and you can't get up. Yeah,
2: that, I need one of the buttons.
3: So what, is this the thing you wear around your neck yeah. and yep. it just beeps very loudly if you fall and you can't get up?
2: No, it calls somebody and it has an ambulance sent to you. <laughs>
3: yeah. We need you to get a life alert.
2: Uh-huh. I wouldn't abuse it. And That's old good. people Old people have abused them in the past.
3: What, they just want someone to come over and hang out? Yep. They're lonely? Yep. So they, uh, they smash or, that life alert
2: button. Okay, I'm not a hypochondriac, but I got a cold and I need to go to the hospital. Life alert.
3: Hmm. So this is strictly for falls.
2: Yeah. Or squatting down.
3: <laughs> I got to tell you, it's incredible. I I would love to know what he feels on a daily basis when he goes to squat. Does, but looking at him, he seems cool. so spry. I mean, it probably doesn't bother him at all. He's running three miles a day. That's the thing. He's running three or four miles. It's crazy.
2: He, he gets the COVID and he's running four miles a day.
3: Hmm. Randy, he had a very um, delicate surgery and was walking out of the hospital. I mean, this guy is, he's on another level. He's not human. That
2: would have been a career ender for me.
3: All all you need to know is whenever I bring that up that I didn't even say what it was and Randy's wincing. Anytime you even mention that one injury exploded. that that Yachty had Ow. Every guy in the room cringes. They can't even speak of it or think of it and Yadi's walk, walking around. He's fine.
2: Yep. Ball well, one. <laughs> That's it. Well, that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up. <laughs> Michelle's turning red and laughing. It's great.
3: I, uh, I don't know where to go from there.
2: You're killing me, Smalls. It's coming your
1: way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: <laughs> All right. It is time for.
0: You're killing me, Smalls.
3: Randy, we know that Hideki Matsuyama, he became the first Japanese golfer to win the Masters on Sunday. This is a huge deal. He is going to be a rock star in Japan. He already is, but now I was was reading about the financial impact that this is going to have on his life from an endorsement standpoint in Japan, etc. But The fame hasn't gotten to him because he was spotted at the airport when he was leaving Georgia. Multiple fans saw him there. He was just chilling in the Atlanta airport, carrying around the green jacket. He had it draped over the seat next to him that he was sitting at while he was waiting to board his flight. And Randy, he was flying out commercial.
2: Isn't that great?
3: He just won the Masters, and he's flying home to Japan, and he's flying commercial. And
2: he was going to have to connect in Chicago, apparently, (laughs) so that he could get a flight to Tokyo. Yeah, I don't think Tiger necessarily flies commercial when he goes home to Florida after winning a Masters.
3: How many of those big-name golfers are ever flying commercial?
2: It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened for years. So that was really cool to see him. Yeah, And I loved the the photo with him with the green jacket, just draped over an airplane or an airport chair just okay well yeah i got a green jacket i'm on my phone checking things out
3: he threw it over the chair like we would throw a jean jacket yeah it was unbelievable Master's jacket hanging out there i would have put that packed that away so tightly i would have been guarding it with my life
2: yeah and i know that golf is already big in japan but can you imagine what this is going to do for the sport there incredible It's
3: going to explode. Yeah,
2: they've got courses and they've got great driving ranges, but I would think that this will even enhance the popularity of the sport there.
3: Absolutely. You're killing me, Smalls. It's a big month, Randy, for Trevor Lawrence. We know he's likely the number one overall draft pick at the end of the month in the NFL draft, but he got married last weekend. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations to Trevor Lawrence. And Jaguar fans are already trying to get in on the action. This is Something that the internet would do. Some Jaguar fans found he and his now wife Marissa's registry and they raised about $10,000 and started purchasing gifts off of the registry (laughs) for Trevor Lawrence. They um, bought a toaster, a vacuum cleaner, and they said any extra money that they had in the fund they were going to donate to charity on behalf of the the new couple.
2: That's really nice. Or the newly wedded couple,
3: I should say. They've been together for a long time.
2: That's a good thought. He better wind up being good.
3: Isn't it weird, though, to think that Trevor Lawrence, who's going to make so much money, is registering for a toaster?
2: Yeah, but he's probably never had his own place and probably doesn't have a, a toaster. And you'd need to register, right? So,
3: I guess, yeah. Yeah. It just seems... I don't know. I, I, I think it's wild that he got married right before the draft. You'd think he mm-hmm. had so much other stuff going on, but congratulations to them. But just... To think about someone that is going to be such a superstar trying to go to Macy's or wherever and pick out a toaster seems bizarre to me.
8: We
2: use the toaster every single day. Do Do you? you? Yeah.
3: A a regular toaster? Yep. Every day. Whether
2: it's an English muffin or making sandwiches or something like that, every single day our toaster gets used.
3: I can't tell you the last time I took the toaster out. Really? Yeah. I'm not, well, trying to live a low-carb life, Randy. Yeah, right. But you know what I like to do is pop it in the oven, 350, just flip it around a little bit, Uh get it out, make some avocado toast, something like that.
2: That's good. See, the the toaster takes a lot less time than preheating an oven to 350.
3: Yeah, you're right. That's true. Do you have a toaster oven? Because some people I know. We do not
2: have one in the house.
3: Emily is nodding her head. A lot of people I know are out on toasters and on toaster ovens.
2: We've had toaster ovens in the past, but no, we don't anymore.
3: And now I'm kind of curious. I kind of want to go to the registry and see which toaster Trevor Lawrence landed on. Because if it's good enough for the number one overall draft pick, it should be good enough for us.
2: I can tell you, they don't make toasters like they used to.
3: <laughs> what?
2: Your parents' toaster, man. I'll bet your parents' toaster they got for their wedding.
3: And so you're saying now toasters, toasters break Toasters might easily? last
2: five years, yeah. They aren't what they used to be.
3: My parents have had their toaster for a see? long time. Yep. What do you think that is? Is it the apple um, plan here where every couple Years it breaks down so you have to buy a new one
2: I think so and they used to make them out of metal now They make them out of plastic they just aren't as good
3: So do you have a vintage toaster No
2: ours is plastic and it's It's going to be need to be replaced here It's missing a like a the plastic dial thing it's, oh
3: the knob that you pop yeah, down so where it, does it, that go me. because mine was missing that too it's like am i pushing it down so hard that the thing pops off i don't know where it goes how does no it get idea, lost
2: yeah I'm, I'm the same way
3: it's like socks yes. how you throw them both in the wash how does one get lost i don't know
2: i that is so appropriate right now for me because i have two separate socks sitting on top of my dresser and i have no idea where their mates are
3: is that I put my mismatched socks on the dresser, too, because I think yep. when I go to fold the laundry, I'll oh. see the mate, and then I'll pair it up, yep. and then they're gone. Where do they go? I yeah. played that game this morning. Yep. Did you see find Emily? them? I, I found it. Yeah, okay, it that's took me good. a few minutes, yeah. but I found I'm wearing the socks now. And you know yep. what the worst part is, is sometimes I'll get rid of the sock. It'll be there for so long, I've cycled through maybe two, three loads of laundry. I'm like, well, I guess it's, just, it's a goner, yeah. and then it pops up, and you've already thrown the other one away.
2: Mm-hmm. We have a, uh, as you know, a golden retriever that likes socks. So the ours are somewhere. We just don't know where.
3: So just likes to hide the socks or chew them up?
2: No, she hides them. Yeah. And eventually we'll find them.
3: Dogs are so weird with stuff like they that. Are. My dog, I give him a treat every day before I leave, and he does this thing where he'll eat half of it and hide the other half. (laughs) And then when I come home, he goes and scurries and finds it and eats it. I'm Treats himself. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to give you one.
3: But the patience that it takes for him to not eat the whole thing is outrageous. That's impressive. And he is not an obedient dog, so I don't know why he he does this. Anyway, enough about that. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, tell me if you would see this movie, Randy. Let me lay it out for you. Okay. Adam Sandler's Happy Madison Productions. Kevin James playing Sean Payton.
2: Would I go see that
3: movie? Do you want the plot? Yeah, sure. Or do you even need the plot? I
2: think uh, the plot would be beneficial to me.
3: Okay. So this Plot begins in 2012 when Sean Payton is suspended for the season by Roger Goodell for the Saints bounty scandal, which gives Sean Payton the chance to reassess his life, put it in some perspective. This is from Peter King. As part of his new life, Sean Payton becomes the offensive coach for his son, Connor's sixth grade football team, the Warriors in the Dallas area.
2: Okay, I, I, I will go see this one. I was worried about it being Sean Payton sneaking into the trainer's room to steal Oxycontin. Uh, And I didn't want to see Kevin James doing that. So I'm fine with uh, Kevin James as the sixth grade football coach, though. I don't know if I'm on board with Kevin James playing Sean Payton. That's going to be a tough connection for me to make.
3: I'm looking at a side-by-side right now. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. And the movie's going to be called Home Team, by the way, for those who care. Uh, I think it's a a funny plot to think of a head football Mm -hmm. coach of a team like the Saints going and coaching a football, a youth football team. But how how much of the fact that he was suspended is going to be playing into this? It's not like he just chose to go there because this is something he's interested in. He was suspended for the bounty scandal, for bounty game.
2: And that's the, the big question is, for the sixth grade team, for the post-game pizza party, if you knock a quarterback out, do you get an extra slice of pizza?
3: No, Randy, remember, that was Greg Williams. Oh, okay. Sean Payton just didn't stop it but He was not, he was <laughs> all not right. Doing all of that okay. right remember Okay now I do I don't know <laughs> I know that people are just trying to find Plot lines and things to make movies out of But if you're asking me would I rather see The Kurt Warner movie or would I rather see The Kevin James Sean Payton vehicle I'm going Kurt Warner all day
2: 65780 Who should have played Sean Payton Who would be a good actor to play Sean Payton And I would assume that it's a, a light-hearted, fun role. It's not going to be a, a serious role that has to be played here.
3: I can't see Kevin James as anything other than from King of Queens in the in the UPS or, outfit.
2: See, I, and, and I don't think I've ever seen that show, but I have oh, seen so Paul good. Blart Mall Cop, which is essentially the same thing, right?
3: I've never seen Paul Burt, Blart oh, Mall Cop. Okay, is it good? It's all right. It's.
2: Put it this way, it's better than him playing Sean Payton.
3: Has there ever been a Kevin James movie that gets an above all right rating from you?
2: No. How about you?
3: No. And so if you're Sean Payton, are you thrilled that Kevin James is playing you?
2: No, I wonder if he had to sign off on that.
3: I think so, because uh, per Peter King, Sean Payton read the script and he made some corrections to the script. So Mm. obviously he signed off on it if he's reading the script.
2: Yeah. Uh, here is a story: Eight people that could have played a convincing Sean Payton. Um, let's see, Ryan Gosling.
3: That is not a convincing Sean Payton. <laughs> no disrespect to Sean no. Payton.
2: <laughs> James Vanderbeek.
3: Okay, but I will always think of James Vanderbeek, Varsity Blues. I don't want your life, so I don't want him in another football movie because he's already cornered the market on football movies for me. Brad Pitt. No, come on. I mean, love you, Sean Payton, but no.
2: Kenny Chesney.
3: Kenny Chesney What are we doing here Kenny Chesney Just
2: throwing him out there
3: Is Kenny Chesney He's
2: been an actor before And what Some Kenny Chesney film
3: A documentary about his life Kenny Chesney Playing the role of Kenny Chesney
2: Well basically yeah
3: Alright Does he have an IMDB Kenny, Kenny Chesney? Chesney I'm finding he out kind of looks like him Kind of so a little bit
2: I am but he's, uh, he- I, I think we can both agree Kevin James is not the perfect answer
3: No it's not Is there anyone else on the list
2: no, that was bad. That was a
3: bad list. That was okay. I'm looking. I don't. I don't see any films on the uh, whole Wikipedia. Got... So many albums from Kenny Chesney. Yeah. My God, I've been scrolling for like five minutes here. All albums.
2: Uh, Coach Venturi, been a busy guy, gave me a DVD of a Kenny Chesney football movie, and it was kind of a documentary, but it was good. Hmm. Dennis Leary, Pat Oswalt.
3: You know what, Dennis Leary, I could see. I could see Dennis Leary.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good call. That one from the six one eight.
3: I could see it.
2: Bradley Cooper.
3: No, guys, no.
2: He's done a football movie before.
3: That's correct, but he doesn't look Silver like. Silver
2: Linings Playbook, right?
3: Yeah, great movie, right?
2: Yep. Uh, Sean Penn.
3: I could maybe, yeah, okay. I could okay. get on board.
2: Another, another Bradley Cooper. Greg Kinnear, who played Coach Vermeil in uh, uh, that one movie. <laughs>
3: I love that one Invincible I love that one movie With Greg Kinnear It's one of my favorites
2: Yeah Uh, Somebody says I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry Is a good movie
3: Is it? I've never seen it
2: Kevin Costner Probably too old At this stage
3: Hmm.
2: Multiple Sean Penns Matt Damon Probably a little bit Too big at this point
3: Matt Damon Doesn't look anything Like Sean Payton We're trying to get Some similarities here I think Kevin James looks looks more like him than Matt Damon. Jim and Camusle? this is no disrespect to Sean Payton at all. We're just trying to lock in on some similarities here.
2: The guy that played Shooter McGavin.
3: Actually, don't know his name, but yes, they kind of look alike.
2: Yeah, that would have been a good call. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> that one movie, and that one guy, Shooter McGavin, we're so good on uh, our on our movie stuff here. Well,
2: No, Shooter McGavin was in uh,
3: Happy Gilmore. Happy I know. Gilmore, no, yeah. but we were saying that one Greg Kinnear movie.
2: Oh, yeah. Invincible.
3: Invincible. Tim McGraw. Yeah, if we're, if we're going country star turn actor, again, Tim McGraw is the play in uh, Friday Night Lights. There you go. He was great in that role. What, I hated him in that role. He made me hate him.
2: Wasn't he also in Blindside? Was he? Didn't he play? I think you're right. Sandra Bullock's husband?
3: Now that we're here, one of my biggest beefs with the Academy is that... The Blind Side won the Oscar for Best Picture. That was just a we love Sandy Bullock, we're going to give it to her. Good movie. Oscar-worthy? No. Maybe
2: it was a bad year. I don't even know who was nominated. I'll
3: tell you who was nominated. All right. We'll come back with that.
2: Uh, Christopher, Christopher McDonald is Shooter, by the way. Shooter McGann.
3: Christopher McDonald. Yeah. Love your work.
2: Yeah. Uh, coming up, and by the way we'll have that name for you coming up, but uh, does MLB need to clean up their replay system? That's coming your way on
1: 101 ESPN. Thanks, Michelle. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. As you heard during your Killing
2: Me Smalls, Michelle was flabbergasted by the, the response of the critical acclaim afforded the blind side several years ago. Had a chance to look it up during the break, and what do you have for us?
3: So, Sandra Bullock won Best Actress, which... I mean, love you, Sandy, but the movie was fine. And it was nominated for Best Picture. It did not win. The Hurt Locker won. But think about this collection of movies and tell mm-hmm. me does The Blind Side fit in? Avatar, District Nine, and Education, The Hurt Locker, and Glorious Bastards, Precious, A Serious Man, Up in the Air, Up, great movie, and The Blind Side. It just seems like they were trying to be nice.
2: Yeah, about half of those are good. And the one that won that didn't deserve it either. Up in the air from here in St. Louis.
3: That's right. I George remember Clooney? There was many Clooney sightings around yeah. town during that time. Everybody yeah. was very into it.
2: So do you have a problem with Sandy winning Best Actress, even though it's kind of a lifetime achievement award for her?
3: Okay, so she beat out Meryl Streep, Helen Mirren, Gabby Sidabe, and Carrie Mulligan.
2: Well, first of all, Helen and Meryl have enough.
3: that no, Randy, I don't want to take that approach. It's not, oh, LeBron's already won, so he shouldn't win. If Meryl was, in fact, the best, which she was outstanding in Julian and Julia, she should win it. I don't want to just give it to Sandy because she's very nice and everyone likes her and she's never won before. Miss Congeniality is not deserving of an Oscar. Darn it.
2: Here's the thing, with all due respect to all other actresses, when Meryl Streep's in a movie, then she's going to win every single year.
3: Well, if you don't like it, act better.
2: True, I have no problem with the with the a lifetime achievement award afforded Ms. Bullock hmm. that year. That's fine. Hey, Michelle, baseball has some problems. We've, we talk a lot about problems that baseball has. Uh, One shouldn't too. be this difficult, as we saw on opening day between the Mets and the Marlins. One, two, coming, and
7: the slider in there, strike three. Home. a strike, but he didn't move, and Don is going to come out and argue the call with the home plate umpire, Ron Culpa. The ball
2: hit him, and it was going to be a strike. Yep. And that's the Mets broadcast. Yes. <laughs> they're the ones that benefited.
3: That's right, and they're still as clabbergasted.
2: And replay, well, it showed that he did get hit. It also showed that Michael Conforto leaned in just a little bit so that he could get hit with a bases-loaded pitch, 3-2 pitch, that was called a strike. But because it hit him, they awarded Conforto the base and awarded the Mets the victory.
3: And... Obviously, there's humans on the field. There's going to be errors sometimes when things like that happen. But the whole point of having replay is to be able to get calls correct. Exactly.
2: <laughs> so you had that. And then on the fourth day of the season, on Sunday night, you had another crazy play, Braves and Phillies.
5: Deedee pops that one into the opposite field. Ozuna's got it. Bone's going to try it. Here he comes.
1: Fair and, fair and he safe. Does the toe just grab a little bit of the plate before the glove gets to him? I
5: don't know that there's enough to turn it back. What do you think, Alex? We took a good couple of looks at
1: it. I I, I don't see enough to turn it back with what we've seen. And the call is upheld.
2: And it should have been turned over. Yes. Boehm did not touch the plate.
3: No, and there's many different angles that you can watch of the play, and it just seemed fairly obvious from certain angles that he didn't touch the plate.
2: And Travis Darno in the play, he's really concerned about what's happening with replay here.
8: Not
3: not the umpires here,
0: but the ones in New York for sure. I mean, they're the ones who make the call. The, all they tell the the umpires here is safer out. So, like, why? what'd you see? Like, explain it. Like, they should probably get interviewed too. That's That's what I feel like.
2: This should not be that difficult. We can sit at home and get this right. I don't know how you can mess up replay. How can you
3: mess up replay? And you have one job that you're hired to do. If we're watching it on home and we can rip all the different angles off Twitter or the different angles that are available on the broadcast and very clearly see what the call should be. I don't understand why it gets the wrong outcome happens so many times when you have people who are being paid to do this in New York.
2: And it's obvious we've got big screen,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. high-definition televisions. Drew Smiley of the Braves with a very valid question.
6: Controversial play. Did you think he touched the plate? No, I didn't. Um, It's a shame to end a game game like that. It's, you know, in real time, it's obviously bang, bang. Lance is right there in position, making the best call he can. Um, But then we have five different angles on a national televised game it's clear that his foot didn't touch the plate, that it was on the chalk. Everyone saw it and sees it. You know, everyone knows it. And for MLB not to overturn that, it's embarrassing. You know, why even have replay if you can won't overturn that? So that's the way I feel about it. I think everybody feels that way.
3: I wonder if they're more concerned about overturning the play rather than just looking at it independently. Like they shouldn't even know what the call was made on the field. They should just get the play and then they make their assessment.
2: And the people that are making the calls in New York, Secaucus, that are watching these screens, they shouldn't be umpires. That's a big problem that the NFL has, too, is that the people running the, the replay wherever it's taking place. Uh, referees don't want to turn over the calls of people on their crew. Umpires don't want to turn over the calls of other umpires. So that should be somebody that's independent. You and I could do that. We yes. both could see that Bohm didn't touch the plate. It shouldn't be people that have a vested interest in the people that made the call. That's, because it really makes them look bad.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great point. You shouldn't have any connection to anyone making the calls.
2: So... There's been a lot of talk about this over the course of the last couple of days. I don't know what baseball does to fix it. They've got a real problem here. When you can't get replay right, there's a lot of things that baseball is getting wrong these days. By the way, Rob Manfred's a disappointment. That's another story altogether. <laughs>
3: that was You just so casually threw that in there.
2: He is. But they've got a lot of problems, and that's another one that needs to be solved. And it should be very simple.
3: Now, Yes the problems that baseball is dealing with about making the game more exciting, about the balls. There's so there's so many things that are complicated. This one does not seem complicated to me.
2: No, it's very, very easy to fix.
3: If, if we can all watch the game and we can determine what the right call is, this should not be that difficult. No.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Dan McLaughlin with the Dan McLaughlin Show featuring Brandon Kiley and Danny Mack will join us to cross things over next on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Dan McLaughlin has entered the studio. We get news here on MLB Network, which is up in our studio. That Christian Yelich is day today with a uh, a back injury. How long you think he's had that?
3: Oh.
2: oh, about a week
5: back. Hi, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Everything's terrific. Awesome.
8: Oh man.
5: <laughs> no. You guys always give me no.
3: I laughed so hard when Dan's response to the text last night was just no. That's
5: what I do. I just move on. No.
3: It was so perfect. It
5: was a bad joke, and a no.
3: And not only was it a bad joke, Dan. The second time he had sent oh, it he, to he, us, oh, he
5: he he dove right in, didn't he? With he, was, he was working With on photos it.
3: Photos this time.
5: No. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do.
2: Okay, so uh, last night, the Cardinals suffered their third consecutive defeat. Mm. What is most concerning to you about this team right now?
5: Well, I, you know, first of all, I think you have to get some kind of production out of your outfield. Mm -hmm. You're not getting any production out of those guys for the most part. Tommy Edmund played right field last night. The other thing is, it's going to catch up at some point. The model of starters in, what are we, 10 games in... Not going deep, that's not sustainable. No. So that would be my, my concern right now. Now, my hope is is that KK can come in, one of those guys goes out, he's in your bullpen, and with what I saw with Oviedo, I, I've got a short leash on Carlos, Ponce, and to an extent, Gant. I thought Gant was okay last night. Not great, but I thought he was mm-hmm. kept you in the game. Um, but those three, I think, you, you got to look at it and say, are, are these other options going to give us a better chance to win, and then you know, really out there, you're hoping, as Michaelis at some right. point comes back. Yeah. Michelle and I talked a lot about the
2: move, but I didn't give my opinion about the move. I was fine with Schilt bunting with Gant
5: and keeping him in the game to try to get a few more outs out of him. I had no problem with that. I did bring up the uh, move where he pitched to Schwarber with the right-hander. And you've got Cabrera down in the pen. Yeah, I thought that was the one that would have made some more sense. But, to your point... If you have him bunt in that spot to get to two outs and runners at second and third, he's clearly saying, I'm, I need length out of my mm-hmm. my starter. So he pushed it, didn't work, and game two tonight. Uh, we started the show talking about the
2: designated hitter because it, last night was, to me, the quintessential reason why the game is better
5: without the DH. Because it, it forces, I enjoyed it better. Uh, it, it forces I you to think, right, and right. manage along. I, I agree. I've always... Felt that way. Um, now, after watching these guys hit,
7: <laughs> that's <wow>. Michelle's thought. <laughs> I'm sitting here going,
5: I don't know, man. Maybe you know, you're only forced to bunt a few times. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it might be the best thing to let him swing. And if we're looking for offense in the game, and we're and we're wanting, it seems like the younger generation of fans want to have more offense in the game. And that's a very general statement. I don't think everybody does, but or at least more activity is probably the better way to put it. People do want to see that. You know, you have a better shot with the DH as opposed to um, pitchers. I think pitchers are hitting, at last check, it was a couple of days ago I looked, they were batting like 127 or That's 130. So it's no. like a Cardinal outfielder, basically. Mm.
3: Not exciting. No. Yeah, I, I told Randy, I'm, I'm kind of done with, with pitchers batting.
5: Yeah, I, I get it. I, I understand it. I do think, though, there's strategy some with the DH. It's just not as much. It's just how you want to play it. But, you know, you were asking me what you think, Randy, about the other parts of, of the game, of where the Cardinals are. Once you get past Edmund, uh, Goldie, Arenado, and Yachty now, because Yachty's really swinging the bat well, I don't know if that's sustainable for as much as he plays in his age and, you know, a full 162. But, boy, the bottom of that lineup was there was a lot of guys not hitting. You know, you had uh, you know Carlson's hit and miss. You had DeYoung was over 25, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else was 0 for like, oh, it was Carpenter 0 for 12. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's a lot of, that's a, that's a big drop in what you look at at the top of the lineup and then as opposed to what you get at the bottom. So maybe they got to shake up the two big guys and figure out something there in between them or move them down. And the scary thing for me is I don't see much
2: hope. Now the Cardinals, they, they've got all of the analytical numbers about hard hit balls and they, they have evaluated their guys. And Mo said to us on opening day, This was less than a week ago. He said, I think this home opener, he said, I think this will be an impactful outfield. I'm not seeing it.
5: Well, just look at the numbers. Yeah. Not there yet. And, you know, Dean, I I think, I think Dean gives you a pretty good at bat when I watch him play. I've always liked him. um, But Williams verdict is still out. Lane Thomas has been of this group the biggest disappointment for me. Now I've seen him play one game this year of the major leagues, but I'm just talking to watching spring last year. You got O'Neill out; that's that obviously hurts. And Carlson's young, and you're trying to you know get him going in the right direction. I I have to caution myself when I say this, and I think everybody else. I mean, you are ten games in. Yeah. However, it's just the trends of what you see right now that aren't good. Yeah, and you see. Arizona go out and sign Josh Reddick, who's got a good and uh, major league baseball history, signed into a minor league deal. Right, and so I, but I think they have made this commitment to these guys, whether you like it or not, and sink well, or swim. That's what's going to happen. And their thing
2: is, and it's valid, and we are being impatient because we are only ten games in. But what they're saying is. You people are complaining about Luke Voigt and Randy Rosarena. We don't
5: want to do that again. Well, I think I think that's why they're gun-shy with this. I agree. Um, and I don't blame them. But I also think that, and I talked to Mo right after the season, and he said, you know, we have to just do a way better job of evaluating what we have in-house. So one got away, and it was a, a really good one, and it's what we need right now. It's Randy Rosarena. So, um And we'll see if that sustains itself. But he was awfully good last postseason. And he's had some good moments already this year for Tampa Bay. Um, but we got to look in the house of what we got. You know, And what are we missing? Like, is there something that we're missing that we're not seeing? Because there's some good ones that have gone away.
3: They've been really vocal about that, the Cardinals, that they wanted to evaluate the, these guys this season. And whether it's working out or not right now, that's what the plan is. And they're going to execute it that way.
5: I, I wonder how long they go, though, because, for example, well, you've already seen Tommy Edmund go to right field. Yeah, right. I, so there, there's some impatience, I think, with them down there, too. Are you better off, if you're at the Cardinals,
2: with a guy that has done some things, a 157-hitting Gregory Polanco than a 157-hitting Williams, Justin Williams? Well, it's, you want to pay for it? That's I mean, the thing. It's, you know? You, you got to go—it it comes down to winning and paying. And Bill DeWitt told you the other day when you asked the question, there is going to be some flexibility at some point— there's going to have to be, a, you would think, there's going to have to be a move
5: made because, like you said, half of the starting lineup can hit right now and half of the starting lineup can't. Yeah, it's just maybe what with currently constructed what you do, you just you take the hot guy and you ride him until he gets cold, then the next guy goes, and then you ride him until he gets cold, if he gets hot. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things they're going to do. I mean, I think look at the, what they're doing with the cleanup spot. Yeah. Find the hot guy. Mm-hmm. And it's Yachty. I mean, who would have thought at the age of 38, Yachty or Molina would be your cleanup hitter? Unreal. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not ideal 10 games in, but he's shown to be the guy that needs to be there. And by the way, at the age of 24, we would have never dreamed no. that at 38, he would be a lead, uh, awesome. cleanup hitter. I mean, he's he's been really good. Yeah. Um, again, I don't think it's sustainable. I hope it is for him and for the Cardinals' sake. But, you know, when you're playing as much as he is... At his age, with the mileage, and tonight is a historic game for him. It's, it'll be his 2,000th game behind awesome. the plate. I mean, it's pretty, and it's the, he's only done that with one team. This will be it. He's the only guy in the history of the game to do that. Um, it is pretty amazing to see what he's doing, but, you know, let, let's face it. He, if, if you're a really good team, or a good team, he should not be batting cleanup. Right. It's really that simple. Now, the numbers would show, show you that the first 10 games, he is the guy that should be because that's what you have. But if you're a really good team, he's not the cleanup hitter. We do have 20 years of evidence to show that he's a 260 hitter, right? And that's fine. Yeah. And that's great. Right. But, but that's it's, a, it's not cleanup. That's a maybe a 5, yeah. a 6, or a 7. Right. And, exactly. you know, the other guys are the ones that you're looking at for the pop in the middle. Yep. What's coming up with your show with BK? Mike Petriello, and uh, we'll break down the game last night.
2: MLB Network's Mike Petriello and MLB.com. He's great. Yep. Looking forward to that. Thank All you. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to send you guys a text tonight just for fun. No. And it's going to be funny. And you guys are going to laugh. You're
5: going to laugh out loud on the air. Probably not. I'm just saying it. It's probably not I going to it. happen.
2: What, what there, what, didn't I send you another one that almost got you
5: last night? Well, you sent me things that I probably shouldn't be repeated. <laughs> uh, that might be. Let, let me just check here. Did, did I, I didn't send anything untoward
2: last night, did I? No, showing? not last night. No, no,
3: not last oh. night. It was just, you really are trying to make fettuccine happen, and it's not going to happen. Oh,
2: it was uh, the woo thing. And then Katie Wu tweeted, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> yes. Was That's that driving funny. you guys
5: crazy? <laughs> crazy. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know what it's like on TV. Cause I, I know, it's, but it's Does it pick it up a lot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, they're going yeah, nuts. I don't do it. Well, then even in going into the 8th or the ninth, they did put up, um, what's his name? Rustler. Oh,
8: R- the Ric Flair. Yeah, Rick Flair. they,
5: they had the Rick Flair thing going. So then once that oh, was yeah. up there, it was like, okay, game on. Yeah, it was a green light. Yeah. <laughs> and Rick Flair's been to the ballpark before. Yeah. I'd love to get him back down there. Yeah, that'd be Bring good. Bring him in the booth. Yeah. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. I know he did. All right. Uh, we're being told to wrap up here. So oh, okay.
2: We're going to do that. Thanks to our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Michelle, this was fun. Thank you.
3: It was. See you tomorrow.
2: And you've got Dan. You've got BK coming up for all of us. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis.
1: You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise.
4: Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack, and with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio and glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects are injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at lecvio.com. Or call 1 833 537 8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L E Q B I O. Lower, longer Lecvio.
3: Grab a 30 day free trial of Live by Live Plus,
0: and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.